The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. And I'll form the head! Yes, you will, Don. Yes, you will. Because tonight, we're going to be talking about mecha anime. Those destroyers of property and defenders of freedom. Something that both Don and I grew up on. So, Hmm. let's uh, start by first defining what is a mecha anime, Don, just in case we have a few listeners who actually aren't that familiar with them. Okay, this is where it gets tricky. Um, we kind of dabbled in this, if anybody remembers our like 48-hour special about the history of the Japanese comic book industry. I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, we all remember. And then we all drew faces on you when you were asleep. Anyway. <laughs> that was you! <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't have said it. No, it was Jack. Eh, anyway. <laughs> there, there's our obligatory Jack reference for the episode. <laughs> Hi, Jack! <laughs> so anyway, if you, if you remember that, um, we talked about how the animation industry comes more out of the comic book industry than, mm-hmm. than it did here. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was a lot of cross-pollination. A lot of guys who worked in comics ended up getting to animation and sort of bouncing back and forth. Um, from that end, you probably remember, if you want to start talking about mecha shows. Mecha is just the Japanese word for mechanical. Mm-hmm. And it refers to any kind of any kind of gadget. So, like, Knight Rider would be a mecha show, technically. Yep. Iron Man is technically a mecha show. Yep, um, the Japanese love to shorten everything down into two-syllable terms. That, yeah. That's a Japanese thing. So, for example, a personal computer is a PASOCON. Mm-hmm. Which is technically three syllables, I guess, but close enough. Continue. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's true, um... Nowadays, when we hear mecha, we tend to think of, like, robot or powered armor. Hmm. So, there's no point reinventing the uh, the transforming wheel. So, that's kind of what we're getting at here with, with mecha. We're going to be talking mostly about the, the robot stuff, specifically the giant robot stuff. And specifically the piloted giant robot stuff. Yeah, because that's something we never really did here in North America. Hmm. Did we have non-piloted giant robot stuff here in North America? Yeah, we did, and they did in Japan. Um, if you remember, we talked about Tetsumon Atom, which was Astro Boy. Right. That comes out in, like, uh, 1954. Mm-hmm. And it it wins. Like, it, the comic is crazy popular. Years later, they do the show. The show is crazy popular. Mm-hmm. That sort of starts the, uh, the, the, the mecha ball rolling pertaining to robots. Mm-hmm. But Astro's a robot. He's like a little kid-sized robot. He's sentient. He's self-motivating. Uh, that leads a few years later. Mm-hmm. We mentioned uh, uh, Tetrujin uh, 28. G28 goal, which is uh, 56. And... Actually, Tetrujin 28. If I remember right, the Go was actually the sequel series. Well, no, Go just, it's the, the symbol for number. It's just, tet- it's Iron Man number 28, if you want to. 
Oh, totally. okay. They read mm. that as go. I didn't. I didn't remember that. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's one of the running gags because that shows up in different shows later on. If you're wondering why something's called go, it's usually they're doing that pun on the American go as in well, let's get the hell out of here and go as in number. Oh, okay, interesting. I've seen the Chinese character that goes along with it, and that's read as how, not go. Okay. And so that's what confused me. It's like, oh, okay. So that's now I understand why. I never got that before. Thanks, Don. Okay. You're so I'm educational. Useful. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, now we can get our government grant. We had an educational part. Woohoo! <laughs> so anyway, uh, Tetrogen uh, 28 Go is different because it's a giant robot. He's actually about, it's, it, well, fluctuates, but somewhere between five and ten stories high, depending on on who's drawing it and where the camera mm -hmm. angle's at. Yeah. And, and he's remote controlled. Mm -hmm. It's this big box thing that you use and you, 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 you operate the robot. Yep. Those kind of stories took off. They were really popular for a long time. Uh, we kind of dabbled with that sort of thing here. Oh. Um, where we would have, if you had a robot character, and this is where um, we never got too into the mechanical stuff. We did more of what, what we consider a superhero. Mm -hmm. And it's because a lot of our, our like action stuff, when you get to say the golden age of comics and that, it comes out of the old uh, men of mystery, the old pulp hero kind of idea. Right. And one of the running themes that you get out of that is, is the technology is usually in the hands of the villain. Mm. That if there's a robot, it's a bad guy robot. Right. Um, robots for us were always the Astro Boy self-motivating type. Mm -hmm. Although there were Golden Age characters. There's one in particular, I can't remember the name of it, mm -hmm. um, now that it comes up, where this guy builds a robot and they solve crime. It's an old Golden Age comic. You usually solve crime in, by way of finding the criminal and squishing him to death. Um, it's Golden Age, yeah. <laughs> solves the hell out of that crime. The robot is self-aware-ish, mm -hmm. and he gets inside of it. Oh, okay. So in a way, it's almost powered armor, except if I remember correctly, I don't think he's operating it. I think he's more saying, all right, like, robot, go smash that guy, but he's in it. And, it's, and this it's, is an American comic. Yeah, this is like a Golden Age one. I can't remember hmm. the name of it. It had a really... I'll have to look it up. We'll have to put it in the show notes. Okay, we'll find it. And that was as close as we got. If you remember when you get to the Silver Age, we had like Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man is is, is transistor powered because that, yes. was, that was the nanobots were in the 90s to uh, computer chips in the 80s. 60s and 70s transistors did everything. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to note the earliest Iron Man was a big bulky looking thing. But they changed that in a hurry to make him more more human, more human scale, more human looking. Yeah, so what ends up happening with us is because we kind of, the for our comic industry, they kind of borrowed from the, the men of mystery. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons I think we're so grounded in superheroes. Whereas in Japan, they had Astro Boy. The technology became the thing. Robots just blew everybody's mind. And they started going that way. Right. You get to uh, Tetrogen 28. You get the big, bulky, industrial robot, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. That they're not cute. It's definitely a machine. Right. And then the first mech that we would think of as a mech, 
mm-hmm. was 1972, and that was, as we, we mentioned in the comic one, was uh, Mazinger Z from Gonagai. Right. Which is the result of Gonagai being stuck in traffic one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he fantasized about his car being able to turn into a robot so he could step on all the other cars and just knock <laughs> them out of the way and smash his way to work. And he thought, hey, that would make a great comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're not lying. That really is exactly how Gonagai tells the story <laughs> in yeah. Japanese, of course. Yeah, and, and, and that's so. There's the ver- there's the very first um, Japanese uh, giant robot story right there. Yep. Giant and... robot. I should actually make a note. Sorry, giant robot hero story. If I remember right, even the original Astro Boy does actually have a few characters like piloting powered armor or robots or something like that in it. I have vague recollections of that. The but original. Yeah. No, I the... the I don't the think se- they... Is the sequel that does? Ah... Uh, because there's episodes of the one... I know there's episodes of the one that the remake... Because that's what I saw, of course, when I was young. The one, they used to show it in the 80s. And they showed the remake one. And there, there's an episode in there I specifically remember of people piloting powered armor. Yeah, there is. The 80s one is a little different from, as, from the original. Oh, okay. Because the 80s one is kind of... Um, it's the Osama Tezuki universe. Right. That you meet characters from his other comics in the right. 80s one. Okay. Um, I In the original comics, in the original story, I can't think of any... Like, the robots are all autonomous. Okay, so there's none that where a person, like, pilots them or anything like that. Or there's nothing like that. No, not that I can... Not that not that I recall. All the ones I can think of, it they're, they're self-aware. Right. Ish, because there's some like your primitive uh, construction robots, but there's still you would give it vocal commands and it would respond. Mm. Which okay. is kind, it's kind of understandable because that was a theme of the comic. The comic, in a lot of ways, is about racism. Right. Yeah. And it was this idea that self-aware robots were relatively new, and a lot of people weren't comfortable with the idea. Hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, as I recall, Messenger Z officially is the first giant robot you get in and drive. Right. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Because yeah. we we never the, for some reason the 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 giant robot you drive never it didn't take off here until years later. Because we had ah, but that okay. I can actually I can do you one better. So <laughs> it, going to guy came up with with a Messenger Z in nineteen seventy two. Okay. Technically, the Americans, Don, were hot on his heels. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because there was actually a comic that came out in 73, the year after Messenger debuted, but probably wasn't influenced by Messenger at all, um, called It, the Living Colossus. Oh, yeah. Okay. By, by, now, by uh, Tony Isabella and who was the one who drew it? Uh, Dick Ayers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's a story about a guy who can basically project his consciousness into a it's uh it's presented as a statue but really it's got like robot bits inside because the aliens like kind of turned the statue into a into a war machine mm-hmm. and so it was originally from a old jack kirby uh, monsters on the loose type comic uh from uh tales of suspense sorry and yeah. then they tony isabella decided to revive it in 1973 with a um uh, there's this wheelchair bound character who gains the ability to project his consciousness into this thing in a series of circumstances that come and he uses it to fight monsters so 
you could almost, I'm going to make the argument here that that's technically a giant robot story, a piloted giant robot story. But I know I'm stretching it a little bit here, but uh, it's, it's basically the same idea. Yeah, it it, it kind of is. It's and that's because we did. Um, we mm-hmm. had. Um, I guess you'd say the the Tetsujin style giant right. robots here too. We uh, did, yeah, and probably in no small part by the fact that the Tetsujin cartoon was translated as Gigantor and shown here. Yes, yeah, I know. We, you know, people saw it in the '60s. Gigantor, bigger than big, stronger than strong. Yep, Gigantor. <laughs> that would but, be it. Yes, it would. <laughs> I mean, we're not that old. Head. I've actually seen clips on YouTube, mm-hmm. but but that we 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 and again we kind of dabbled to that because I'm thinking when I was a kid I used to like Frankenstein Junior. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Frankenstein Junior. He had the giant robot, but again, it was it was that idea. Uh, his robot was self aware, mm. and he commanded it. He didn't get inside the thing and drive it. Right. And I seem to recall a couple other other ones that, that but were... but they were all again big robot buddy basically i mean if you yeah. want to do that you could almost even say, include the robot from lost in space i mean he's not a giant robot or anything like that but he's still you know the big robot buddy who can kick butt when the time comes for it or the plot calls for it yeah there was there was even um when they did the tom swift jr stories in the 50s there's mm-hmm. there's one where he builds a giant robot and it's it's basically tetsujin right yeah i, I could see that anyway so Anyway, I apologize, though. Uh, it the Living Colossus does come about a year after um, mm-hmm. Messenger Z. And Messenger Z should not be underestimated. He literally is the father of all Japanese giant robots. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least the piloted ones, again. Gigantor would technically be the grandfather. But he, I would argue, yeah, G- Gigantor is the grandfather. Messenger Z is their father, I guess. Mm-hmm. Although great-grandfather. Oh, never mind. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Messenger Z is really important. And what are the defining characteristics of Messenger Z that made it so special, Don? Okay, now this is where we're going to get into uh, an important distinction mm-hmm. that's going to come up and is going to be argued by people until we're all, like, long past dead. And it's the difference between what in Japan is called uh, the Super Robot Show and the Real Robot Show. You're wrong. Okay. Sorry, I just had to get that out of the way. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't hold back. I apologize. Okay, fine. Finish your definitions. Okay. Well, because I was gonna say that Messenger is the first drivable robot, and just like everything else that that takes off, it gets copied to death to the point that people forget that there may have originally been a reason for the trope. Mm-hmm. And Messenger is the the prototype for what later becomes known as the super robot show. Right. Partly because he's basically a giant robot superhero. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why they're called that is because, and super robots literally are robot superheroes. I mean, they, they, for the most part, not all of them, but I would argue the majority of them usually fight monsters in one form or another, or monstrous beings, usually Mm -hmm. invaders from some other planet or wherever that want to take over the world, almost always take over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're usually one of a kind, one of a kind super beings that are almost indestructible and have special powers and... Um, basically kind of look like giant stovepipe robot wrestlers. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Because if, if you look at them, when you mentioned the wrestler thing, mm. uh, one of the standards of the design is the body will be a cube or a cylinder. 
Mm. But there'll be a pinched in portion for the waist, and it usually does look like a like a pro wrestling championship belt. Yep. Yeah, almost always. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, they're all basically wearing like wrestling belts. Yep. <laughs> and you hit upon the key point that makes it super, and it ties in with something we've mentioned about superheroes here mm-hmm. and superhero technology. The giant robot in a super robot show is always a unique, super awesome ultra-powered artifact of some kind. Mm. It's a one-of-a-kind creation, usually of the uh, the guy who pilots it, his his uncle or his father who dies in the first episode. Yep. Or um, later on, it's a relic yep. that they've recovered from somewhere that has weird powers of the ancient Lemurian kingdom, and, and mm-hmm. it, it does things that are way beyond technology. Um mm-hmm. That's a key point. It also ties into, like I said, one of the tropes that I remember seeing all through the 80s where people would bitch and moan that, oh, a giant robot would be useless in combat because it's a big target. Mm. It is, but the trope for, for Mazinger, the original, was that they had a secret Japanium alloy that it was made out of that rendered it basically invulnerable to conventional weapons. Mm-hmm. Go Japanium. Yeah, and that's a staple, and that was why, like, you know, tanks are useless, planes are useless, because that draw, they draw also from, um, if you go back earlier, the, uh, like, the Daikaiju shows, mm. that the idea Godzilla comes out, Yep, and Godzilla was an, int- like, like a, a force of nature, a force of destruction, mm-hmm. when um, the giant robot stuff comes out, even back to, like, the uh, Tetsujin days, they kind of assert a lot of that imagery. Well, actually, let's go back a tiny step, though. Um, Tetsujin and also Ultraman. Remember, mm. Ultraman premieres about almost 10 years before Messenger does. Yeah. And there have been a number of Ultra series, even Ultra 7, um, Ultraman Returns. Uh, we'd have to go back to our Ultraman episode to, to talk about which ones. But the key point is this, is that they already... There'd already been a bunch of live action stuff in this vein, you know, of a giant superhero guy or whatever is fighting monsters. Heck, actually, even Ultra 7 has uh, a giant robot companion. One of his capsule monsters, if I remember right, is a giant robot. King Joe. Yeah, there we go. And so we already have had giant robots fighting monsters. It's just that there are robot-like characters. Ultraman is kind of robot-ish even. And some Mm -hmm. of his clones are absolutely robot-ish. Um even by the time Mazinger comes out. So he's already building on stuff that already exists. He's already, yeah. he, he's not coming up with this from whole cloth. This is, he's riffing on what he's already been watching on TV. Yeah. And it's, um, as that kind of takes off and builds, mm-hmm. it sort of feeds on itself. Yep. Uh, I'm wondering, cause that's another one of them things that it never, And I'm betting it's because of uh, the expense. Like, we dabbled with giant monsters back in the 50s. But by the time you got to the 60s, like, we didn't make very many giant monster movies. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if it's it's just the cost that... It's the cost. Yeah, because we we got all the B-movies of, like, the late 50s going into the 60s. And they were all El Cheapo productions. Well, yeah, Corman wasn't exactly known for spending a lot of money on those movies. And his counterparts at that time... Um, and so the idea of spending all that money to build a, like a city or something like that, like a model city to be trashed, no, that's way too expensive. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think there were any actually. And then the Japanese were doing it and they were doing such a great job. It was just cheaper to like, you know, buy their stuff and just dub it and put it out than it was to actually make our own. Yeah. Plus you had uh, Tsuburaya Productions, which was a studio designed to do like suitmation, giant rope, like giant monster, like movies. Well, science fiction stuff in general. Yeah. Um, like, for example, they did try some stuff. Like, there, for example, there's a movie called The Green Slime, mm-hmm. which is a Subaraya, and I believe it's American production. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's mostly an American cast, and they all speak English, but all the special effects, which are pretty good, actually, for their time, are mm-hmm. Subaraya... Um, our super high production work. Yeah. And, but I don't think it did very well. And I think that was part of the problem. They did try to kind of you know, work with their, with super high as the, as the effects house, but it didn't quite seem to work most of them. So I just think they just gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I, mm-hmm. like I say, when we did our giant monster stuff, most of it tended to be stop action. Yes. Yeah. There's that too. Cause we, we, we think... want, damn you, Harryhausen. <laughs> yeah and and but that's that again like I'm you were saying that. that's <laughs> <laughs> no he I, I have to say i'm kidding because he is a god among effects artists so i i don't want to disgrace i i really am kidding to you know harry wherever you are out there mm-hmm. I, I apologize man i really do <laughs> all right we're finally gonna get some hate mail no <laughs> sorry man i i can't beat harry Housen. he was too awesome um mm-hmm. yes yeah it was mostly side action now Actually, going back to uh, Mazinger, though, one of the things I find fascinating, though, is, and this may be because he was working with ideas that already existed, he was just combining them in an interesting way, is how much of Mazinger was actually thought through. That's mm-hmm. something that has always amazed me, actually. Like, for example, you know, everyone says, and this is a line for anyone, especially of our generation, who saw these giant robot cartoons, who saw, oh, why don't they send all the giant monsters at the same time? They just kick his ass. So why don't they send all the giant monsters at the same time, Don? Well, that was the, um, it's implied in the old, uh, the Mazinger show that the, uh, I'm thinking of a line from a video that I'll, I'll, I'll point out that the bad guy, Dr. Hell, and it's not Mm -hmm. Mr. Hell. He didn't get that degree for nothing, which was the line I was thinking Mm -hmm. from the video. Right. That he had recovered, he had recovered the giant robot monsters. It was like an ancient civilization. Hmm. And they kind of elaborated that he either can only control them one or like two at a time, Mm -hmm. or a lot of them aren't active because there's this couple scenes in the early episodes where you sort of see them in this chamber Mm. and they're not active. And this is one of the reasons why he needs all his like dipshit lieutenants in that because it's kind of implied that somebody has to sort of control the monster. Right. Yeah, so he's got to keep it under control. So he can only send out so many at the same time, which I always thought was great because that's something that almost every other show after this never followed at all. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, they all does... just the, – the, so the complaint does apply to almost everything but not quite Messenger. Yeah, and he does – in a couple episodes, as I recall, he does send out more than one. He'll send two or three. Right, he's sending out but, what he's got, but he's but that's yeah. as much. But he's sending out as many as he can manage at a time. Yeah, and that ties in too with like we were saying. If you remember, like the Ultraman TV shows, the plot would only have one monster at a time, partly because of the expense and partly mm-hmm. because each monster was a separate event. Right, and a lot, especially like, say Ultraman, it wasn't 
the idea of like there's an evil guy who just keeps sending hordes of monsters kind of becomes ingrained later. Right. But the original ones, like the monsters were sometimes it'd be an alien that showed up or they dig something up or some other weird, like a kid's drawing would come to life or whatever. And mm. it each was a singular event and the giant robot cartoons kind of borrowed from that. Right. Again, I think like you were saying, that imagery was already out there. So to uh, do something different hmm. might have been too drastic. It wouldn't have taken off because, again, um, like we well, said before. What? Keep in mind, I just want to bring this up. 72, the year Mazinger came out, was also the year Gatchaman premiered. Yeah. And Gatchaman, I would argue, is also a mecha show. The only thing it's lacking is the mecha. <laughs> Well, it depends. The bad guys certainly have them. Oh, no, that's what I mean. The bad guys all have evil, giant bug monsters. They all have mecha. It's just the heroes don't have a mecha. That's, they, they, they have a ship, but they don't, yeah. have any, they don't have a robot. That's what I mean yeah. by mecha in this case. But it, in, in all every other sense, Gatchaman is a mecha series. Yeah. It just happens to not have a giant robot. Yeah, because that kind of borrows again from the, uh, the, the, the Tetrugen idea. Hmm. That the bad guys were building the, the like, they're, they're, well, they're, as I recall, they're trying to copy Tetsujin. Well, but weren't the bad guy Mecha and Gatchaman, aren't they piloted? Yeah, they're piloted, but they're more like, um, they're more like battleships. That look like giant monsters. Yeah, because it's not, there's a guy driving it. There's like 50 oh, guys in the command yeah. center and like an army of dudes. And that. They're they're more like a, like, it's it's a similar idea, but like, yeah, the, the execution's a little different. Mm, okay. That okay. it wasn't, it wasn't a personal vehicle that you drove. It was like a mobile battle station. Right. So again, going back to what we've kind of, uh, before our audience gets too tired of uh, hearing about Mazinger or almost <laughs> hearing about Mazinger and then going off on different tangents. The point to this is, again, that Mazinger didn't come out of thin air. Yeah. Uh, Mazinger itself is the product of multiple things that were going on at that time and that came before it. Yeah. It might, it's a point, it's kind of a singularity point where everything came together, but it didn't come out of thin air. And yeah, there was another show on the air and maybe other ones besides Gatchaman that actually were also doing that kind of thing. So he was kind of going with the flow of the times. Yeah. He it's, it's like we said before, if you do something totally new, nobody will get it, but you can add one twist and get away with it. Mm. And that was kind of that idea of you get in, you drive it like a vehicle mm. and then everybody that just took off. And that was cause who wouldn't want to stomp on their city in a giant robot? I think we all agreed on. Yep. And okay. that, and it, it sets up, like I said, Mazinger becomes the formula for the Super Robot Show. Which, as we've discussed, is uh, every episode the bad guys send out a evil robot to do evil stuff or they have an evil plan. And our heroes find out about it. Two robots fight, or robot and a monster fight as the case may be. The good guy wins and peace is restored. And that's basically it. And pretty much every Super Robot Show ever is that. Yeah, or a variant yeah. thereof. Well, you're forgetting another important part of the super robot genre, though. Oh, what one? That the theme song mm -hmm. basically always translates to, he's awesome, and a list of his powers. Yes, that's true. Yep. There's also, also, I also, um, we shouldn't forget that the fact that the robot pilot is a hot-headed idiot. 
<laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> I mean, there are very few giant robot pilots that are hot-headed, that are not hot-headed idiots, um, mm-hmm. especially super robot pilots. Again, that's because it's better for comedy and they get themselves into trouble more easily that way. And they make yeah, lots of mistakes. There's that, and again, um, because everybody borrows the formula so clearly, they always have to have a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, that's true. They either got something to prove to their dad who didn't love them, or they're trying to get revenge for their uncle being killed by the evil empire. Or whatever. But yeah, they always have a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on then. Now that we now that we've established what the formula is, what do you think the next significant uh, giant robot show was? Oh, after uh, Messenger, yes. Uh, the next big one was probably Get a Robo. And Get a Robo was big. Why? Get a Robo is the first combining show. Mm. That the premise was before the uh, evil aliens invade. The scientist guy built three space fighters that were meant for exploration. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, but when... That's why they had all the rocket launchers. Could explore the hell out of the cosmos. (laughs) Oh, they're doing it American style. (laughs) The galaxy needs some freedom, man. (laughs) But but yeah, when the aliens attack, he rigs them up so that they, they combine together. And depending on which order you link them up, they turn into one of three different robots. Right. Um, a cool-looking one, an almost cool-looking one, and a derpy-looking one. <laughs> Dan, derpy's probably the best best way of putting it because um, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of starting to see the, 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 the again, right from Mazinger, you've got the, the angry guy hero. Mm-hmm. You've got his angry female sidekick. Yep. You've got the comic relief, tough fat guy, mm-hmm. and usually a kid for whatever reason, right? Yeah, because that's Get a Robo added uh, added two hotheads and a fat guy in their uh, in their mix. You can guess yeah. who had the you can guess who piloted the derpy robot. It's not the hotheads. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And that was the one too. The uh, first Get a Robo, the uh, the fat guy go, goes into combat, as I recall. He's wearing like a baseball bat catcher armor. Mm-hmm. He's got like the the yeah, padded yeah. chest plate and the face mask for some reason. Are you sure you're not confu- confusing it with the second Get a Robo series? It's because... kind of it's tough because they're basically the same show. They're basically the same show, but I think you're referring to the second one because the first one. They're the, oh, I'm trying to remember what their names are, but okay, we've got Heroic Tough Guy, we've got yeah. Cool Tough Guy, and we've got, um, and we've got, the, the, the fat guy is a judo master. Oh, okay. So, so he doesn't, so he doesn't, he, and he wears like the judo outfit, because that's his thing, right? His, his robot, the derpy one, has no legs. It just mm-hmm. has like tracks or something. And so as an end result, he like does judo throws, because he just has arms, so he just throws them around. It's not until we get to get a Robo G in 1975 that I think you're, that's the one that you're referring to as the, uh, where he's got the baseball catcher thing going on. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Cause it's, it's, it's tough to tell. Cause again, they're both the same show. Right. And this is kind of also the beginning of the team thing where instead of just having one main dude, now we have like three main dudes who obviously do not get along with each other because drama. Um, Yeah, Yeah. 
mm-hmm. that was a that was a Mazinger thing too, though, because if you remember in um, the original when it gets rolling, there the good guys have three giant robots. They do, but it's a little different because mm-hmm. I'd argue that these guys have to work together to defeat the bad guys. In the end, the other, the two Aphrodite Ace and or was it Venus Ace, whichever. No, and, Aphrodite Ace was the first, and then Boss Robo. And embossed Robo. The derpy they're one. They're, okay, the, the other, the original derpy one. Um, <laughs> you know, Aphrodite Ace, the female one, is there to basically try to fight the bad guy first and get her ass kicked so that Messenger Z has to go out and save her each episode. Boss yeah. Robo is there to be comic relief. Well, and he gets his ass kicked a lot too, so yeah, don't, and, don't and rule him out. also get rescued by Great Messenger or, yeah. or Great Messenger, take your pick. But the point is, is get a Robo, all three of them are badasses. And depending, and it's more of a, it's more of an equal relationship, I'd argue. I mean, right. it's not, you, again, there's that transition between the two, but okay. But, but either way, it's the beginning of the whole team thing is happening here. Yeah. It's a, it's a variation. Yeah. Okay. I think we can agree on that. Right, so yes, definitely get a robo is an important one. Um, that, that get a robo is one of those interesting ones that I've noticed, uh, Japanese fans adore. They always mm-hmm. have, and they seem, seemingly always will. But fans outside Japan couldn't give a crap about. <laughs> For the most part, Get a Robo. I mean, some people are like, "Oh, that Get a Robo thing looks kind of co- cool," but that's about it. And of course, they're always referring to the cool-looking mode, not the other two, which look, look really bad usually. Mm-hmm. Although there, there are some later versions that actually don't look that bad. But the yeah. point again being that uh, Get a Robo is one of those things that it seems to be uniquely Japanese. Mm-hmm. And other people don't seem to quite get it as much. Um, I'm not saying I do either. Actually, I've tried. <laughs> I've tried, but I've but get a role. I under, I understand it, but I don't quite get the super appeal to it that seems to be there for Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could say. I think it. I think it's another one though. It's it's uh, so popular because it's one of the first. Mm, that's true. And it's just kind of burned into everybody's consciousness. I can see that. All right, so let's continue moving on then. See, in uh, 75 then, uh, and by the way, there are other robot series we're skipping just because they're just copies of Great Messenger, basically. Yeah, I think it, it, it doesn't hurt to say, when you talk about Japanese robot cartoons, um, there are so many of them, and I mean so many, oh my God, you're always discovering more, that a lot of them are kind of falling the category of an also-ran. Yep. Well, to give an idea... In 1976, there were seven giant robot cartoons produced alone. In 77, there were six of them produced. So the point is, they were just, once Messenger was a mega hit, everyone wanted that piece of that, you know, giant robot cash. And yeah. so they were pumping them up, partly, of course, inspired by toy companies, because toy sales were through the roof. And so the toy companies were like, make more. And yeah. so, okay. And so the studios had and had the money. Also, Japan was in its um, was basically flush with cash at this point as well. Mm-hmm. So you know they were in, in their economic boom period. And so as an end result, you know the studios had money to work with. The people had money to buy toys. You know there was just money flowing, so they could afford to make lots of these shows. Yeah, it 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 kind of ties in. There's well two points. Number one, mm-hmm. they made so many of them that they reached a critical mass and collapsed in on themselves. Well, we'll get to that. Well, no, I'm I'm talking even now, which has resulted in this weird um, time-space singularity so that you'll always find more Japanese giant robot cartoons because there's more of them popping up in the past. 
Right. Like they're literally multiplying like 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 quantum filaments in uh, Star Trek the Next Generation. Ooh, geek reference. <laughs> that's that's kind of a that's kind of two jokes. But it certainly seems that way cuz when you go look and you're always finding another little company that did another one. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And because everyone and their brother and sister and cousin and their cousin's dog did one. Yeah. And there were also Chinese and Korean ones as well. Yeah. Um, not many, but there are. Uh, Korean did, oh, they did Taekwon V, I believe it's called, which is their version of Mazinger. It's literally Mazinger with a slightly different color scheme. <laughs> it's literally yeah. that. It's Taekwon V. And I think there's one or two other ones as well that the Koreans mm-hmm. did. I think the Taiwanese might have done one as well. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, because I know Mazinger was super popular in Taiwan. Uh, I just had to mention it to my wife and she started singing the Chinese Mazinger theme song. Wow. And my wife wasn't born for a number of years. Uh, she was born a little in the mid seventies. So, but she still saw it when she was growing up and she still remembers it because everyone loved it to pieces. Same with Gatcha Man. They saw, they yeah. watched that too. Yeah. It's- um, hmm? It's kind of the, the the way to to think of it for anybody listening who's like over thirty five, mm-hmm. or way over thirty five. Uh, yeah. When they when they did the sixties Batman TV show, mm-hmm. that was so crazy popular that kind of led to a superhero boom in general. Mm-hmm. And then if you think to the seventies when Star Wars came out, and then everything was Star Wars, right. That's kind of what happened when, when, when like, Mazinger took off. And that's kind of what happened years earlier with, like, Tetsujin and Astro Boy. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's a good way to describe it. That's a very good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, it's, this happens with everything. Something comes along and creates a new paradigm. In other words, a new way of making money. And yeah. everyone jumps on it. That's just the natural way, way of things. Especially in a capitalist society, that's the way we roll. Yeah. And, and then it, they become kind of like... like uh like cultural way stations. And that's, again, we never had a Mazinger. And I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't really get into the, the giant mecha piloting robot thing until mm. way later. Mm. Because the, 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 the big events that took off for us were different from the ones in Japan. And like I said, we had Batman and Star Wars. Yeah. Well, there were some other minor ones in between, but yes, I mean, yeah. and and we did have the option, um, just to fast forward a little bit, um, the best of the 70s giant robot cartoons, almost the best, I should say almost the best, um, basically did get bundled and shown in North America in, I believe, the either late 70s or early 80s. I think it was the early 80s under Force 5. Yeah. So they, they bundled them together and they were shown in many places. That unfortunately, none that I could see, I so I didn't get to grow up on them, but anyway... <laughs> um, that's the second thing about living in you know southwestern Ontario. Um, and and well, not next we, to you guys. Oh, I know you did. Yeah. Of course you did because you lived next to Detroit. <laughs> we saw a lot of them in Spanish, but we saw them. Okay, well, there's that. Um, but we'll get to that in a bit. But anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, so there were opportunities for them to take off here, but they never quite did. Yeah, is what I would argue. Um, with one exception that we'll get to a little later on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so okay, so we just go back to our little timeline here. Um, the next big one I generally say, and it's generally agreed to be Yusha Radin in 75. Yeah. Um, we, and Radin has the uh, distinction 
Radine has the distinction of being the first giant robot that transformed into a plane, basically. Um, it's, uh, yeah. It transformed into this kind of giant space fighter jet thingy. And also, if I remember right, it was also one of the first of the almost more serious ones. It, like, it tried to do things a little differently than the others. Uh, if I remember right, Radine was actually just a giant artifact that they found, and they said, okay, we can use this to battle those evil giant robots. And so they did. Yeah, it so, was... If I remember, it was uh, like these ancient alien guys came back mm-hmm. and were going to kill off humanity and take the Earth back. And yeah, the Radine was this ancient, like, mystical super robot that the i forget how where i've only seen a couple episodes of the original one mm-hmm. and i forget exactly how it worked but yeah the guy he drove it and it was he he kind of linked with it it was get again it was pretty close to the living colossus you mentioned earlier right yeah at least in theory in theory yeah well but it wasn't his spirit that was running he was actually in ray dean he was... yeah he if I remember, though, he, he, like, beams inside of it. Right. Well, that became a thing after a certain point. Yeah, because you always had the uh, the big, long activating the robot scene, because that ate up about 45 seconds of animation every episode. So that's why it was always super well animated. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's how I view transformation sequences. They're really exciting sequences that are repeated again and again and again every episode. Yeah. And so, but that's like cheap time that you don't have to fill every episode. Yeah, and remember this was back in, like, we're still in the 70s. So what ended up was uh, you didn't have home video. Hmm. So they didn't, it that scene didn't grate on your nerves because you weren't binge watching it and seeing it every 18 minutes. Yeah, like that's... That's one of the reasons you could get off. Same thing with our cartoons. That's one of the reasons you get away with the uh, the stock animated scenes because people were only watching this like once a week or so. Yeah, exactly. And when you're only watching them once a week, yeah, you just don't notice that stuff, especially when you're a kid. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, yes, so there we go. So Ray, so you should Ray Dean happened. Um and then the next big series I think that's probably worth mentioning is Goddamn Go Whapper 5. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, Tekaman. Oh, Tekaman's just an Ultraman ripoff. It's an animated Ultraman ripoff, so who cares? Well, there, there's one notable thing about Tekaman. Okay, fine. Te- I, I'm <laughs> uh, Sorry, Tekaman fans. I'm not a fan. Okay, go. Yeah, it's, Tekaman is more... There's, there's nominally... Pegasus is nominally a giant robot. Mm-hmm. But he's more like a spaceship that's kind of shaped like a robot. Right. Um, Tekaman is notable. We watched it here. They There's an English dub that came out a long time ago. We're talking like early 80s, I think. Well, that would be the original Tekaman, not Blade then. Yeah, this was the original. And the thing the thing that it was notable for was the voice acting. Right. Because I think the guy who turned to Tekaman, I think his name was Barry. And okay. Which it... it he he had the because because we used this shtick in a bunch of tabletop role playing games we played. Mm-hmm. He talked monotone until he got to the part point where he'd mention like a power and ability, right? So you would get things like he is trying to knock me off of his ship, but he cannot because I will use my magnet boots, and he did that all the time. <laughs> okay, and it, and it was so messed up. That, and I believe the commander of the uh, alien invaders was named Dink. 
<laughs> so that really struck a chord with us as kids watching this show. Commander Dink. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And then, because the, the, he teams up with uh, with this alien guy who has, like, the biggest fro in cartoon history. Tekka Man does? Yeah, like Barry. And his name, his name, I think his name was, like, uh, Argo or Avro. We called him Afro because that, it, it sounded like his name and it was huge and glorious. Right. And he had this weird, like, disco pose he'd strike to activate his alien powers. It was such a fucked up show. <laughs> I may have to actually go back and give Tekka Man a second look if I can find it. I went, I went looking, and I can't find that translation that we watched like when we were I kids. I bet they didn't even put it out <laughs> on home video. Actually, wait, no, I think they did because I vaguely remember seeing it. I remember seeing it in like, you know, the kids sections once upon a time in video stores. So I'm pretty sure it did get put out on videotape, but probably just super cheap. Yeah, because that is now lost. That was a lot of these like uh, old super robot shows like the force five, mm. they became filler. And like you said, the late seventies, early eighties, um, you'd see them on syndicated channels, usually like four or five in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then they were, a lot of them were released on home video mm-hmm. because people were buying VCRs. They needed something to make people buy VCRs. Just put these shows. They were, cause yeah, they were cheap. There's kind of a caveat that we're approaching here in America. Mm-hmm. That sort of kind of, um, it's the first shot, I guess, at really popularizing this stuff here. Mm-hmm. And that was the Shogun Warriors. Yes. That wouldn't happen until like 77, 78? 76 or 77. Oh, 76, 77. Yeah, so there's the Shogun Warriors where they brought the toys over. Yeah, and they brought them over they with, with none of the Japanese story. Yep. And... It was because most of them, they were um, the jumbo machiners, the big two foot high ones mm-hmm. from Japan. Yep. Or the uh, Chagokin, which were the, the metal ones. Right. That were usually around, say, five to eight inches or the little Star Wars sized ones. Yep. I remember them. And they brought the robots over. They didn't have any of the story. They they still had all the original packaging. Because remember, uh, Tim Eldred talked about when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. When we interviewed him, that he thought they had made up this weird magical kind of script to put on all of these like figures, right? And it was just it was Japanese because all the characters had that wrestling belt. Part of them would be a sticker that had their name on it. Mm. Yep. Um, the thing that was interesting about that was the sort of story behind the toys was they were self-aware robots, right? Uh, you see the commercials, the kids are like playing with them as if like Mazinger is a character. And then the mm-hmm. coloring books, they're characters. They were, except in the Marvel comic. Yep. And then the Marvel comic made them vehicles like they were in Japan. Right. Now, there's probably a reason for that, though, because mm-hmm. uh, I think we've mentioned on this show before, actually, in, during the 1970s, and I think prior to this, New York actually had a Japanese language uh, cable access station. Right. And they were showing a lot of these cartoons back in the 70s. Uh, we mentioned that before because a lot, and we know that a lot of the Marvel artists of that time were watching these cartoons. Yeah. Uh, they may or may not have been subtitled that part. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter. Like, so the key point is when they did the Shogun Warriors comic book, I have no doubts the people who were doing it probably actually had seen some actual Japanese cartoons you know, so they knew what they were supposed to be. Yeah, that was them. That was them actually trying to do a Japanese style of story. 
Yeah, and, and even the way the bad guys worked in the heroes, it was uh, the Marvel Shogun Warriors was a super robot comic. Yeah, it was. And that was, I believe, 1978 to 1979, uh, 78, 79, I think. Let me no, I, think it, I think it went 80. The, the Shogun Warrior toys only lasted a couple years because... Um, the toys came out in 76, and then when you got to 78, 79, uh, you had the kid who choked to death on the Battlestar Galactica missile. Yep. So toys that shoot were out, and the problem was that's what made the Shogun Warriors cool, was they had all these, like, shooting things. Right. Um, the licensing was kind of uh, expensive for sales, and they just kind of quietly stopped doing the Shogun Warriors. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and the answer to your question, the answer is 79 to 1980. February 79 to September 1980, 20 issues of the Shogun Warriors comic, which I have all of them. Okay? Mm -hmm. I managed to collect them in from back bins years ago um, just because they were awesome, sort of. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was, it was, yeah, like I remember it fondly as a kid because, mm. like I say, we were watching all of these different shows. Right. And, languages none of us understood and it was it was actually like I say it was a good go the marvel one was a good go at doing a japanese style uh robot show mm. a weird thing that i find interesting when you look at say the shogun warriors or the uh the micronauts were popular too with the toys mm -hmm. all of these were like japanese science fictiony things that were brought over that came here just before star wars mm-hmm and then kind of rode the Star Wars sci-fi wave. Yeah, yeah. And there, But there's the problem, right? They were here just before Star Wars, so they couldn't... The Shogun Warriors, for example, were trying to run... They were called Shogun because Shogun, I believe, the miniseries, you know, the based on the book by James Clavell, had come out. And that's why yeah. everyone was thinking about Japanese stuff and Shogun and all that at that time. So oh. that's where that name comes from. And they were try they were kind of trying to ride the Japanese culture wave, and it just the one just around the time of Star Wars, really. And yeah. it didn't quite work out for them at that point because there wasn't that. It, it didn't quite work, I should say. It just didn't quite mesh up. Yeah, and some sometimes it did, and it didn't. Like the Micronauts did well, but it's interesting that Star Wars itself borrowed a lot from like Japanese stories, and and that. Oh, Star Wars borrowed a ton from Japanese stuff. There's no question on that. And and like you said, uh, the, the, the Shogun book and the miniseries, it's kind of interesting how that all kind of comes at the same time. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Well, that was Japan's economic boom, right? Japan yeah. was rising in prominence in the global scene uh, and especially economics. And so as an end result, I mean, Americans were suddenly forced to be aware of Japan as a <laughs> far, first world nation. And so right. suddenly Jap everyone's like, oh, the future is Japanese. We'll be speaking Japanese one day. Little did they know we'd all be speaking Russian instead. Joke's on you, <laughs> comrade. Mm. <laughs> all right. So, so yeah. So, the, so they did that. Uh, so the Shogun Warriors happened. And okay, so let's, let's get back on track then. Um, so, uh, the next uh, major one is, of course, uh, Goddamn Go Whapper 5. <laughs> and actually, I, I, only because it was by Tatsunoko. I just love saying that. Goddamn <laughs> Go Whapper 5. No, folks, that's the actual name of the show from 1976. Goddamn Go Whapper 5. <laughs> what 
was that name again? Goddamn Go Whapper <laughs> 5. I mean, that is the most messed up giant robot name ever. <laughs> Have you seen the show? No, I haven't actually. It's 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 another one that comes out of the uh the weird cartoony comedic silver age slapstick school of robot design. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. It if you ever see it, it's it's all these weird little chubby robots and they're all the designs are very busy. Right. Yeah. Well, the show itself was totally, I'm told, uninspired and uh, it actually is unexceptional except for the name. <laughs> really. <I> to- <laughs> totally. It's just it has that name. So, God damn, Go Whapper 5. I mean, you could do so much with that name. Oh, my God. <laughs> do a whole comedy routine on it. Um, we should get Doke on. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry. Because no, Doke would look at it and go, why are you making me watch this? <laughs> Just watch it, though. Anyway. All right. So, but actually in 1976, when Goddamn Go Whapper 5, sorry, I had to one more time, um, came out, um, another more important series actually came out, and that would be Combattler V by Toei. Why is Combattler V important, Don? Oh, that's um, going with what you said before about how, um, no, how Getter Robo Mm -hmm. presented that idea of the team. Mm Mm-hmm. Combatler V is the one that kind of solidifies that formula because there's five of them. There's yeah, like the 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 hothead hero. There's the the, the kid sidekick. No, there's... you're doing it wrong. There's the hot-headed hero. Right. There's the ace. There's yeah. the girl. There's uh-huh. the big fat guy, and there's the kid sidekick. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's the that, formula. And that's literally that's. Here, when many people think of that formula, that, you know, Power Rangers-esque formula, that's it. Now, mind you, it comes from Gatchaman. I mean, that, let, there's, let's, let's, let's be honest here. It's coming from Gatchaman, which was only mm. four years before this, and was super god-massively popular. Sorry, what? super god-phoenixly madly <laughs> popular. Uh, super god-phoenix-madly popular. But the point is, is that Combatler 5 was the first giant robot show to do it. And yeah. in fact, it literally was. Even the first Sentai series to do it, which would be Battle Fever J, wouldn't actually pop up for a couple years. Yeah. In fact, there wouldn't be a Sentai robot for, I believe, another uh, two years before the first one, which would be a Le- uh, Leo Pardon in the Supaidaman, Japanese mm. Spider-Man live action series that they did. was the very things. first <laughs> Japanese, yeah, I know, live action giant robot thingy. And then the first one with a team would be Battle Fever J, which appears in, what was it, 1979. Yeah. So so this really is the very first team show where we have five good-looking young heroes from all walks of life piloting a giant robot as opposed to a giant bird plane thingy. Yeah, there's, there's one from the 60s that kind of um, mm-hmm. hints at that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, what the hell was it called? Was it Rainbow Soldier Robin? It might be. I've heard. I know that one, but I don't know that much about it. Yeah, it's 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 this kid, and he's got these like uh, buddy robots. That that again, it 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 it's that they're they're almost that, but you don't have a team piloting the robots. It's the robots themselves, right? And okay. each one each one has kind of a different personality, and I think they're all like a different color. 
and I can't remember. I don't think they all join together though. I think they're just like a team and they turn into like spaceships and it's, it's kind of an ambassador magma clone. Yeah. Rain, rainbow Sentai Robin or rainbow Squad yeah. Robin or something like that. It's called. Yeah. There's not a lot on it. I just did a quick search. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably have to go. I let's just say I would have to go deep to actually find much more information about it. Um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and it, it kind of hints at that idea, but yeah, Combatler V is the first, that, that's the formula, that becomes the new formula. And it is still the formula that's running today, that's the formula that Power Rangers runs off of. Yep. I mean, literally, so it's all Combatler V, it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah that sticks in your head forever. Yeah, if you go listen to the theme song, folks, we'll listen to it in the show notes and then try to get it out. <laughs> I've had the Messenger Z theme song stuck in my head for 15 years. So um, <laughs> ever since I first heard it, it's still in my head. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Um, mm. But yeah, as Don said, they're all basically, here's the robot's name repeated 50 times and a list of their powers. <laughs> and uh, some are, look how awesome they are. Look how mighty they are. Look how much ass they kick. That's pretty much every giant super robot theme <laughs> of the 70s right there. And they're mostly sung by the same guy too, whose name I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that's true, isn't it? They're almost all... There's a guy who became the super robot guy. And his name is... Oh, crap. Can't remember. Um, yeah, like I said, I forgot about that. That yeah, it was, uh, it was the same guy who did, like, all of these theme songs. Yep. Oh, by the way, um, we should also note that Messenger Z did actually get shown as Transor Z in 85 in the United States. It took them, like, 12 years, but they fi- eventually got around to it. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was one of those things that um, it got held up. The the legal rights kind of got held up. Okay. It was supposed to be a little earlier, but... Um, it was Gona, supposed to be part of the Force 5. Yeah, but Guy had problems. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, he one of the studios kind of wrote him out of his own show, one of the other companies he worked with. Right. And he kind of wanted to clamp down on the rights to his stuff. Right. And Massinger being kind of an important show and one of his, his mega hits, he was really reluctant to license it out. And that was why it took so long before it got shown in America. By the way, apparently it's out on DVD. Discotech Media acquired the American home rights to it. I'm looking at the entry now. The result was a release of all 92 episodes in two volumes. Messenger Z TV series, volume one and two. Yeah, well, a lot of these shows you can get that like they they were released on disc in the last like five to ten years, like proper North American releases. Yeah, Discotech's done a ton of them. I believe Discotech are do- well, they're doing the the Lord's work. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um. So, well, I look up whoever sang the Messenger the- Z theme song. Who uh, who should we talk about next on? Oh, we got, um, well, there's one that I'm going to mention because you you emailed me the, uh, your list. Right. Yep. Of super robot shows. And I can already find one that's not on this list. Oh, what one? Dinosaur War Eisenborg. Okay. (laughs) You do that. Because it's, it's another one. It's not, uh, it's not exactly a, a, a. Well, they have sort of... It's not exactly a giant robot show. Mm-hmm. They, uh... The two main characters link together to form this, like, giant cyber elf. That they fight intelligent dinosaurs from the core of the Earth. Mm-hmm. 
but it uses again a lot of the imagery it borrows from the uh super robot and the uh the 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 ultraman ripoff kind of shows because mm-hmm. that was the one um ah oh, there's an english movie attack of the super monsters yeah it's super monsters yes attack of the super yeah. monsters yeah it's eisenberg yeah because what they did is they did the the live action model work for the dinosaurs mm-hmm. and the eisenborg is this big ship it's this it's like a land train kind of thing mm-hmm. and then the character parts are all animated and they sort of through the uh, the magic of television editing they seamlessly combine the two into one show <laughs> He's being extremely sarcastic, folks. <laughs> if you've ever seen it, you understand. Um, yeah. Because uh-huh. <laughs> it came out, too, when you had the giant, the uh, super robots. Mm-hmm. You also started to see some vehicle shows in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of run parallel. It's it's a different issue, but you get sign of that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Partly, too, because when you get to the... Uh, the the combatler v thing and what you get in the sentai stuff uh combatler v is five vehicles yes that link together and that becomes a thing because you get this hybridization of the robot and the vehicles yeah and that that again that forms like the next template and and uh yep um by the way the guy i was looking for is ichiro mizuki Oh yeah, yeah. Ichiro Mizuki, he sang Messenger Z, uh, Babel II, Robot Detective, Kamen Rider, Great Messenger, uh, Kamen Rider Stronger, Tekaman, Steel Jeek, Akamizer Three, Combatler Five, Captain Harlock. He he is literally known as the Anna King or the Emperor of Anime Songs in Japan. Yep. <laughs> and he's active up until today. He started in '68. He's still singing them. I believe, actually, one of the people you can hear. I think he's part of part of Jam Project. I believe, yes. And so you can actually even hear him singing in the uh, One Punch Man opening theme. That's wow. he's he's one of the singers on that, I believe. And wow. so, yeah, he's still around. He's still and he's all, um, basically once you know his voice. You'll hear him everywhere because, yeah, he really is. Like, he's the Japanese opening theme guy, basically. He's the sound of Japanese giant robot cartoons. Right. Um, and it's just astounding how much he did. But anyway, so, okay, before we bore our audience too much, let's uh, <laughs> let's get back a little bit back on track here. So, yes, Combatler V set so many standards from vehicles to the five good-looking year heroes from all walks of life working together with a giant robot to def- defend the Earth from an evil empire. Um, It should also be noted that as these giant robot cartoons were going along, one interesting note is they tended to slowly become darker and darker. Yeah. I I noticed that where they were still doing the um, kids, you know, you know, young, a young teenage boy and his friends fighting with a giant robot fighting monsters. But each of the, they were kept trying different things and trying different approaches. So for example, um, in 1977, moving along, we get uh, Dengard Ace, which is by Lijie Matsumoto, who, of course, is the creator of Space Cruiser Yamato. Uh, Dengard Ace is one of my personal favorites. I managed to see videotapes of it when I was a kid, and I've always been fond of it. Um, mostly, it's, it's fascinating because if you ever see Dengard Ace, it's mostly almost uh, a space opera adventure series that also happens to have a giant robot in it. 
Yeah. Like the robot doesn't even appear in many episodes. I'm not kidding. He li- often it's just characters using space fighters and such. And yeah, now when the, then the robot shows up when it's not damaged to hell and they're having to replace it in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the focus is the characters, not the robots, which makes it interesting. Um, the other thing that popped up in uh, 1977 was Zambot 3. Oh, okay. And do you know what Zambot 3 is famous for? Oh, isn't that the guy who kills off all his characters? No, actually. I don't I don't think Zambot 3 was uh, Tomino. Um, wait, let me check. Um, however, you're really close um, in the sense that uh, Zambot 3 was the very first one that actually has like a super downer ending. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, there we go. He director Yoshiyuki Tomino. Yes, you're right. Yeah. His, his name, Kilmall <laughs> Tomino, originates from this work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, he decided it was his job to, uh, what was it, depict civilian sufferings under invasion of aliens and also do horrible, horrible things. I'm just paraphrasing here. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Zambot 3 is the, is the first one where things cut you know they kind of you know if there was if this was really going on it would be really horrible and zambot 3 decides to actually represent that kind of um the earliest ones did mm-hmm. like like again like Mazinger would have these it's going to guy so yeah the there would be horrible falls. stuff happen yeah true. yeah but you had that split because again as the toys became a bigger part of the show mm. Uh, you had things that would move towards more kidified stuff, more cleaned up stuff, more right. good, wholesome family violence. Yep. Because Zambot 3, if I remember correctly, I think I've seen a few of them like a long mm-hmm. time ago. It starts, it looks like one of those cutesy kiddied up shows. Mm-hmm. And then everybody dies. <laughs> You're like, wow, didn't see that coming. And that was one of the reasons it was so traumatic. Yeah. Not as traumatic as another one that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it is the first, well, here, kill them all, Tomino. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and he has, a, that's his theme, folks. If you see a show and you can see the director, producer is Yoshiyuki Tomino, you know most of that cast is not going to be there at the end. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's the original George R. R. Martin. Let's put it that way. It's like, that, this cast is too big. What can I do to thin it out in the most horrible <laughs> ways possible? Yeah, because he has a habit of, who's everybody's favorite character? Okay, you die next. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> um, so, so Zambot 3 pops up in uh, 1977, same year as Star Wars, and traumatizes Japanese youth. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's noteworthy for 1977 is uh, Voltes 5, or Voltes V, um, which if I remember right, is considered one of the best of the five team shows of its era. And I've seen commented, um, apparently in the, in the Philippines and other parts of Asia, Voltes five there was like the most popular thing ever. That apparently was one of the first ones that like exploded, like at, at that time internationally. Yeah. Um, a lot of these got to different countries and became super popular in different places. Uh, but Voltes five was, um, yeah, that was the Philippines show, apparently. And even yeah. to this day, apparently, like if you go to kill- Philippine, like anime conventions and stuff, people will be cosplaying as the characters from that show <laughs> because it like it dealt in it etched itself into the Philippine consciousness, I'm told. Yeah, because I work with a uh, older lady from the Philippines and she talked about it. Yep. That's not a surprise there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's that's the other thing too with uh, a lot of the the Japanese stuff. It was popular throughout Asia, but also in Europe. Mm. And that was one of the reasons why when we were kids, we saw a lot of these shows in French because we had two French channels here. And oui, oui. and they were, for the French channel, they were filler because they were already translated because they were so popular in Europe. Which show was it? One of the giant robot ones, one of the early ones, where like the, the, it was on in France at one point and every almost every TV in France was turned to it. Uh, Goldorak, which was uh, UFO Robot Grandizer. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, UFO Robot Grandizer. There we go. Um, so that would have been from 75. Yeah. And now, mind you, the other one was showing a fairly boring documentary, and then we had two channels. That kind of spoils <laughs> the whole thing. But yeah, basically every TV in France was like turned to that show at one point because mm-hmm. they really were popular, though. They really yeah. were. Like uh, the Europeans got to see a lot of other stuff that we North Americans never got to see. Yeah. Uh, again, unless you had French TV channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we Canadians managed to see them, but um, you Anglais did not. All right. So that's a joke only Canadians will get. All right. So <laughs> um, let's see. So going back on. So so anyway, so 1977 was an important year for giant robot stuff. Um, mm-hmm. We had a couple noteworthy shows come out at that point. Not not groundbreaking, but but again, they were laying the groundwork for what was going to come in 1978. Mm-hmm. What was going to come in 1978, Don? Dytarn 3. Oh yeah, Dytarn 3. Oh my <laughs> god, that show was so awesome. And no, I'm not talking about Dytarn 3. <laughs> okay. Uh... Um, that other show that was by Tomino that I know no one's ever heard of, but we should probably mention it anyway. Oh, are you talking about uh, God Sigma? Yes, I am, sir. Yes, let's stop screwing with them, Don. <laughs> okay, now this is important because this is one of those uh, where the change happens. Because mm. I suspect you're talking about Mobile Suit Gundam. I am indeed. That total, total huge commercial failure. <laughs> Actually, you're 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 almost correct. I know. I am. Explain. <laughs> All right. Mobile Suit Gundam comes out the very original. This is the first generally of what they call the real robot shows what defines real robot don okay real robot shows were were an attempt to be more realistic with the giant robots um they usually have either more proper scientific accuracy or the idea of the robot is based around one or two concepts so there'll be like a discovery of something and that lets us build effective robots also, they're just like tanks. They're just machines. That, yeah, they're, ma- um, they're mass-produced. Yeah, exactly. Although the Heroes unit is usually a high-end special unit of one kind or another. And the original 79 Gundam, of course, is another um, uh, is, is, is a unique unit that's better than most of the other mobile suits around it. But generally speaking, they're about stories about yeah mass-produced robots. And um, we'll talk about some later where the Hero Mecha isn't even special. Actually, yeah. there's a couple where the hero doesn't even have his own mecha, but we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, the real robot stuff—they're they're, you know—they're like a fighter plane or a jet or a tank at this point. Yep, and it's 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 what separates it from that, I guess, superhero technology. Mm. That even if the hero's mech is really good, mm. it doesn't exist outside the established technology of the setting. Yeah, they could build another one. 
Yeah, and they often do. Like that's yep. the the Gundam unit. I wouldn't even argue that once the show gets rocking, the Gundam isn't actually one of the best mechs. It's yeah, you could actually that's true because Amuro is piloting it. Well, we should probably explain Gundam for those who are not familiar with it. Okay, because this is where the formula changes from um, guy and his buddies uh, fighting you know alien monsters. Okay, to something else. Uh, kind of. Kind of. I know they're still there. Okay. Anyway. So basically what happens in Gundam is this, okay? In the far future, there are lots of space colonies all around the world because the Earth got overcrowded, so we moved a lot of the people to space, okay? Short version. Eventually, some of these space colonies basically decide that uh, they want to be independent of the Earth. They don't want to be ruled by the Earth anymore. So we've got a, we've got a rebellion situation. They declare their rebellion by taking one of the space colonies that doesn't want to separate from the Earth and dropping it on the Earth, which... <laughs> considering that these things are huge, does a whole lot of damage. Yeah. Um, and then they use that as their Pearl Harbor to basically attack the you know, pro-Earth forces and uh, quickly drive them into a corner. Um, then on a neutral colony, a guy named Amuro Ray, uh, through a series of circumstances, ends up with this prototype uh, mobile suit because the Xeon, as they're known, are the bad guys, are using mobile suits, which are... Mecha, they're Rojat robots to, to, mm-hmm. as, part, as they're uh, super war machines. They've got legions of them. And so the Federation tries to design a couple mobile suits, um, and one of them is the Gundam, which our hero ends up with. And then he and uh, his two of his friends, because they do still follow that pattern, he's got two buddies who are piloting mm-hmm. other mobile suits. Uh, there were other prototype mobile suits. One's called the Gun Cannon, and the other is the Gun Tank, if mm-hmm. I remember right. And they all end up on a ship called the White Base, which is, again, a prototype space cruiser, which is not very powerful, but is reasonably fast. And uh, they end up being the Earth's last line of defense, basically, flying around trying trying to avoid being killed by the Xeon and their forces and also trying to help the Earth forces whenever they can. Uh, yeah. And they end up going down to the Earth and they end up coming back into space and... There's a whole like a whole complex set of stuff going on with it. Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, and this is one of the things that makes Gundam distinctive, there's another character named Char Aznable, who is the ace pilot of the Gion forces. And he is actually the son of someone who was killed by the, uh, the head of the Gion. But the Gions don't realize this, that he, he's kind of the snake in their midst. Mm-hmm. And so one, the other story we're watching is we're watching him rise up through the ranks and slowly assassinate all the people that messed with his family quietly and secretly in the background. Yeah. And so we've got this juxtaposition of this one character advancing through the Xi'an ranks and it coming into occasionally coming into conflict with our regular Japanese hero who's just he's the usual hot-headed type. Um, and meanwhile, we're, we're watching the Team Gundam try to struggle and try to survive against the Xi'an onslaught and working with what's left of the human forces. So yeah. as you can see, it's very much a war story and a fairly, um, I can't call it deep, but a fairly complex one. Yeah, because one of the other things that they added with uh, mm-hmm. Gundam that becomes a staple of the real robot shows mm-hmm. is the setting is a bigger part of the story because they get into the politics and they get into yep. the uh, lives of the characters more. Yep. And that was something Gundam still has a lot of the super robot trappings. Yes, it does. It's it kind of a hybrid show halfway in between. Yeah. Cause it kind of has that look 
Amuro is like the guy who ends up accidentally piloting the Gundam, and his dad was the one who built it. And mm-hmm. he thinks his dad is killed in the first thing. And they're not evil aliens, but they're guys that come from space to, like, attack the Earth. And and the monsters, sorry, and the Xi'an mechs are all monster-like. They they kind of get that way, because the, 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 the Xi'an's there, they have their mass-produced ones. Mm-hmm. Does that? They ha- yep. They have ones that are, I guess, the ace mech. Which is usually a type of Zack, like the goof. The goof or is the, uh, the Rick Dom, isn't it? Well, the Rick Dom becomes like the dickweed mech later on. I thought they were supposed to be the next evolution up from the Zack. They were, but they're dickweeds. Like okay, they are dickweeds. Okay, it's, sorry. It starts if I remember. There's like a team of three of these guys with them, and then yeah. when you get near the end of the series, there's hundreds of them. Okay. Hmm. But Gundam does have the monster of the week because they have the mobile armor. Yep, that's true. That the Xeons start building. Mobile armors are like giant, giant robots. Yeah, they're not exactly monsters of the week. They only pop up once every like dozen episodes, but okay. Yeah, well, they, the other thing that happens with those is they don't die at the end of every episode. Yeah. A lot of the mobile armors recur. Right. There's they only come... a couple. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's only a couple of them in the actual show. And yeah. they, te- they tend to be a big plot point. Like they, they keep showing up. Until you could almost call them cool. level boss monsters. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, they're level bosses, basically. I mean, yeah, that's how it works. The other thing that should be noted um, that Gundam gets into, again, because remember, this is just slightly post-Star Wars. You've got to remember this. Is that uh, they were taking a few cues from Star Wars when they did the original Gundam as well. Um, and so you've got giant space cannons. Um, the heroes and main characters are what are called new types, which mm-hmm. basically are... They have low-level psychic powers that are supposed to be... They're next, supposed to be the next evolution of mankind because we've gone out into space, so our minds are expanding. Um, here, they're Jedi. They're, 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 let's, yeah. just say, let's be honest. They're Jedi is what they are. Although they don't have TK, if I remember right. No, I don't think any of them do. They just really have precognition, and they can kind of sense each other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's described as they have like a, a cosmic awareness. Yeah. And But that awareness means that, among other things, that if they're attacked by normal people, let's say you're a new type and you're being attacked, you kind of know where all the shots are going, so you can just dodge around them fairly easily. That's what makes them an absolute terror on the battlefield. And that's why, as Don mentioned, the Gundam is good, but it is there are suits that are better than that, but because Amuro Ray is perhaps the most or second most advanced new type there, that's why he can just slaughter everything around him, because he knows where all the shots are going, he can just dodge everything. Yeah, technically he's probably the third. Oh, that's true. He'd be. You're right. He'd be the third. Yeah. Because because Lala would be the first and Char would be the second. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because that was the other thing that Tomino is known for just amping up the suffering. Yep. Yes, he is. He manages in Gundam to outdo the idea of killing everybody because um, one of the big love triangles is between Amuro, Char, and uh, Lala, and. I'm going to give like 40 year old spoiler alert here. Go ahead. Yeah. She gets killed in combat. She's the pilot of one of these like mobile armors, the LMF. And when she dies, she's in a psychic bond with the other two. So they feel every excruciating moment of her death, <laughs> which just kind of amps things up so much. Oh my God. It. it messes them up so badly. <laughs> Cause they're both totally in love with her. Cause they both had this like deep spiritual, super psychic bond with her. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's, oh my God, is it messed up. 
Anyway, um, but it messes them up. And, like, Tomino really... Now, mind you, he does outdo it in uh, Zeta Gundam. Oh, he does. He outdoes it with each Gundam series after. Like, he, Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, no, Zeta, Zeta, Zeta kind of has another level to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Zeta... You gotta re- remember what happens to Camille Vidan in Zeta. I mean, yeah. Camille Vidan is the pilot of the Zeta Gundam in the sequel series that will come in like 1986, I believe. Zeta Gundam. 85, sorry, 85, 85? yeah. 80, 85, yeah. Anyway, and we'll talk about that when we do our real robot show. Gundam, as Don just said, is the point where suddenly real robots become more popular and more profitable than super robots. Yeah. And. So once people see that, then we start to see a true split between real robot shows, which are following the Gundam line, and super robot shows, which of course are following, still following the uh, Messenger Z line. Yeah, there's there's a lot of overlap. Yes, there is because it's it's not it's not like a super distinction because you still find some of the real robot shows will have far out elements to them. Depending on the series. Yeah, um, but but they do tend to be the idea that the robot is just mass-produced technology and there's a big political angle to it. Right. I mean, for example, uh, one crossover, one also coincidentally enough, I believe, by Tomino, um, that came, comes the following year is Idian. Yeah. And Idian is still, I would argue, a super robot show, but it wraps itself very much in the real robot style. Now, see, I would go the other way. Really? Okay. That I would say it's a real robot show that borrows from the uh, super robots. <laughs> hey, you've got your chocolate and my peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, it's Idian's a hard one to explain because it's about a super giant magic robot. That's one way to describe it, yeah. But it's very, very grounded. Mm-hmm. It's very mystical, but it gets into the history and mythology of of the setting and the uh the two species being us and the alien buff clan yep and everyone wants the idiot kind of some of them want to destroy it because um essentially what happens the buff clan have these little groups of like that that'd be kind of the equivalent of like uh north american evangelicals mm-hmm. that believe in the e-day the e-day is like this this universal like life force energy Mm -hmm. and a couple of the characters in the buff clan like the 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 main one uh kurala are believers in this but most of their society thinks oh it's just myth it's tale tales and then they find on the one planet the humans have found this this ancient alien civilization with this gigantic and i mean the thing is gigantic and it's the symbol of of this religion kind of thing Mm-hmm. and Kurala, the alien that ends up kind of defecting, mm-hmm. it's because she thinks this is a key to their religion, and and it just gets way out of hand after that. But it, it tends to be very grounded, because the Idian itself is the universal wonder mech, but it takes a lot of maintenance, and they're constantly trying to figure out really how it works, and it's very... Mm-hmm. nuts and bolts matter of fact which is why i'd say at its core i think it's more a real robot show but it just has this extra element of uh, super robotness built into it 
Yeah, because even that super super robotness, it's not that um it's all based around this idea of this like universal life energy. Hmm. So you've got this weird mystic angle, but that mystic angle is actually it's grounded in a single ideology. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like I've got my giant robot and it has super photonic power and then there's a space witch that summons monsters and this guy's a Nazi right. ghost and he possesses like statues to fight like it it's not all over the map it's it's got the weird furrowed elements but they're very grounded in in, in a small number of concepts that kind of tie together right okay and at the end of this one. Tomono doesn't just kill all the main characters, he destroys the entire universe. Just because. Now, I actually want to ask, I know you watched the whole series, but mm. have you actually seen the movie version as well? Both of them, yeah. Okay. Does I heard the movie ending is different than the TV series ending. Yeah, the what it's one of those shows, it came out... You don't and... have to spoil it for our audience, obviously, but just for general reference. I'll spoil the hell out of it damn you all it's like again it's like 40 year old show because <laughs> i know the original series uh, the, the original tv series i heard they ran out of money so in a classic that's where partly where the idiot ending comes from it's like we have no money what can we do yeah i don't know i've heard that that um it ran out of money and that it ran short that it kind of the 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 uh sunrise said nah just pull the plug but they were only like mm. three or four episodes away from the ending Okay. So they're basically like gearing up for the big fight and the big fight starts and then there's like a like a little thing and then like everybody dies at the end. Like comes up. <laughs> okay. Like, oh, that's weird. Cause, well, that's Tomino. Just get cut to the point. Yeah. Because there's two movies. One movie is kind of a quickie recap of the show. Mm-hmm. And the other movie is sort of it's uh, it's half of kind of a reworking of the end. And mm. then it carries on that you do get the impression this is the actual ending that because this was the actual ending. That right? the other yeah. one they did just because the, the the plug got pulled for whatever reason, right? And yeah, it, it ends with uh, the whole universe getting destroyed, right? Because okay, it uh, what what ends up happening the the idiot is kind of um, it's the focus for um, if you remember the old Star Trek, they always ran into like godlike alien beings in space. Of course. The Indian is one of those that it was this entire civilization that achieved enlightenment and became like a godlike being. Mm-hmm. And the Ide is is their will. It's what's left of their consciousness. In it. And it's growing throughout the series. There, there's reasons that I won't get into. And essentially the end of the show is they judge humanity. Mm. And we're found. And we fail. Yeah, and we're found wanting. So they wipe out the universe and decide they're going to try again. Oh great! Okay, so so the mech is basically just a giant test. Basically, yeah. Now there's there there's there's some catches. It's knowing that it's still worth watching because there's a lot of freaky twists, but an incredibly brutal death. Yeah, I've seen clip shows of Idian because I haven't watched it myself, but I've seen clip shows of just characters with their heads getting blown off in combat and all sorts of like horrible things happening to them. Not just not just deaths. Like there's a lot of. Like uh, Kurala, when she the the alien that kind of defects, mm. when she first shows up, the humans don't trust her. Uh, can't imagine why. It's not like her species just bombed out their entire city. Um, so they like they have her in in like like the old hot box kind of thing, like locked up on the ship. 
Right. And everybody hates her and people go out of their way to go yell at her and stuff. And right. at one point she escapes and keys back up with, with, with her people. Cause she's trying to negotiate peace. Mm. And the, the, the commander ends up like stripping her and like beating her within an inch of her life in front of all of the troops and that to humiliate. And it's just like the whole show is just, and it's also, wow. it, they get into kind of the psychology of the characters so people are always like, I guess, losing their minds. Yeah, that's a Tomino series, all right. And just you really do kind of feel this deterioration of everybody as the show is going on and the war is dragging out and nobody knows what to do and they're just all giving up. <laughs> yep. Makes sense. Yeah, and, and even the ending, like um I'll spoil it mm-hmm. kinda where you see everybody's spirit traveling off to like the afterworld. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of meeting up with each other and resolving all the conflicts they had. And and mm. the people who are meant to be together are now going to be together for all eternity. And you see them fading. And there's like the, the one sidekick guy's like, I'm still alone? What the hell is this? And that's like the last thing you hear from like, oh, goody, he gets to be alone for all of eternity. That's fantastic. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Wow. That sounds like such an upper Don. Um <laughs> And I believe we'll put a link to it. I think the whole series is up on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, you can you can track it all down. Okay, well we'll have links in the show notes. Yeah. So let's continue because we don't want this drag on too long. But <laughs> actually, we don't have too much farther to go, really, because with the end of the seventies and the coming of um, Gundam and the super robot stuff still continues to exist, and there are still robot shows to this day. There's only a few more noteworthy ones that we should probably talk about, actually, mm. um, that I would say are especially noteworthy. Okay, we should mention uh, Go Lion in 81. Okay. Um, if For no other reason than Go Lion became the Lion Force Voltron series. Yeah. And that's, of course, the series that, like, I don't know about you, but... Actually, no, probably not for you, but for me, that was my first giant robot series. Okay. Like... Because it, it premiered, I actually checked this, it premiered just before Robotech did. Yeah. And as an end result, it was the first kind of show of its kind, really, that I saw. I, I believe we didn't see it until like 83 or so. But Go Lion uh, Voltron, as, as we know it, it was to North America, of course, of our generation, what uh, Voltes 5 there was to the Philippines. Like, it was the show that we all watched as kids yeah. and was so popular, they've remade it three times. <laughs> the And... The current version, which airs on Netflix, uh, is still airing right now, is on on Netflix. They release new episodes every couple months. Um, I would actually argue is the best version of it ever. Hmm. Like, I would actually even argue it's better than the original, but that's not necessarily hard. But but Voltron, Golion Voltron, was probably the... Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty good show. It was definitely a different take on the whole thing, which is which kind of messes things up a tiny bit. Right. Because, of course, they're not on Earth. They're actually on another planet. Trying to defend, a, a, you know, this otherworldly fantasy planet from Medievalian Empire instead of defending Earth, yeah, which is a little odd. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever. Actually, when the uh, creators of Voltron, uh, World Events Productions or WEP, yeah, so they saw this Japanese robot show, okay, and they thought that looks really cool. Okay, we'll adapt this and we'll turn it into a show for North Americans, okay. And so they told the Japanese, the, the show that they saw was a show called Future Robot Daltanius, mm-hmm. okay? 
which is about a robot that uh, super robot show, fairly standard, you know, Messenger Z type clone. But the main character has like a lion yeah. form, and so he's a big lion on his chest. I think actually, I think he assembles. No, that's right. He assembles, but anyway, one of the parts is a lion, so mm-hmm. he's a lion on his chest. So the story goes that World Events asks Toei, "Give us the show with the lion." But the thing is, they had two <laughs> shows with the lion. Daltanius, the one I just mentioned, and this other one called Go Lion, which they just produced. And they're like, oh, okay, they must be talking about Go Lion. And so they sent them the tapes for the wrong show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they watched it and said, okay, let's just go with this. <laughs> yeah, because it, it was a better show. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they thought, okay, this will work. But then they ran into a small problem, which is that they needed a minimum of 65 episodes for at that time to do a syndicated strip show. That would be five days a week, 13 weeks. Yeah. Okay, at this point, that's what you had to do, okay, to get a syndication deal. To like, So you'd air on independent TV stations all over the United States and wherever, okay? Problem was is that there were only 52 episodes of Go Lion. And so they're like, well, what do we do? And they their solution originally was that okay well we'll we'll combine it with another series in fact we'll combine it with two other series mm-hmm. um, and so then they grabbed another show called Armored Fleet Dirugger Fifteen yeah. which is what we know as Vehicle Voltron if you've ever seen it which is about fifteen vehicles that conform <laughs> into a giant robot together um, and which is about which is also set in space so they thought hey this kind of works kind of <laughs> and then they even planned to do one more which was based on a show called Lightspeed Electroid Albagas which is another again Messenger Z type show yeah. um, and they thought well we could work with this too but Vehicle Voltron didn't prove to be as popular as they thought it was going to be so they just decided to skip Albagas so what was known as Gladiator Voltron or Voltron 3 was never actually produced yeah but they used the Vehicle Voltron episodes to pad out their numbers so that in the end, I believe with the vehicle team, there were... It's like 100. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I just told the story a tiny bit wrong. Okay, so what they did is they said, okay, we need more episodes. So they decided to get the vehicle team one. And then they saw that the Lion Force one was popular, so they actually paid Toei to make more Lion Force ones for them. Yeah, and then they chopped a few episodes up and kind of... Uh... Created some patchwork episodes, <laughs> yeah. too. And so there are 72 uh, Lion Force episodes, and they actually, in the end, aired all 52 Die Rugger 15 episodes as well, yeah. uh, because that was also fairly popular, but not as popular as they hoped, which is why they never did the other one. Yeah, they did toys for it, though. Yes. Well, I remember seeing... Did they do the actual toy, though? Because I remember seeing uh, ads for the toys, not... but I don't remember actually seeing the toys ever. I saw the one, because what Albagas is, is it's basically three robots that, we'll say combine, but... Their, mm, yeah, it is. their torso section with the arms kind of comes off and then they link together. So it makes one blocky robot with six arms instead of like three blocky robots with two arms each. It would have been about five, six inches high when you combined it. I remember seeing those at Toys R Us when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so maybe they did actually do that. Huh. So Voltron ended up becoming the first for my generation anyway. Uh it- it was, and it was part of, um, if you remember at that time, we had a, that kind of opened the floodgates. Oh, well, correct. For, okay, for many people, i sorry to interrupt. Okay. For many of us, that was the first of the giant robot shows, but not for everyone because the, uh, because uh, Force yep. 5 had run in 1980 to 81, which was just two years earlier, or just a few years earlier anyway. And 
I did. I forgot to mention that, and so I apologize for that. We've mentioned actually we mentioned Force Five, but we sh- but I never explained what it was. Um, Force Five was basically this uh, adaptation of uh, just the same as uh, Voltron in a way. They took episodes from a whole bunch of different Japanese series, which were almost all giant robot ones, and they slapped them together and marketed them as this giant robot serial thing, basically. Yeah, except they didn't. They didn't combined them in the episodes like there was no cross it was kind of um in some ways it was kind of the shogun warriors of tv that they just kind of used it as like a a a blanket for these particular shows but they didn't try to entwine them together like they did with voltron right also it should be noted that according to the force five page it was primarily shown only in new england pennsylvania virginia and canada yeah because they toronto had them yeah, Toronto had it. Yeah, Tor- Toronto had it, which is which I should have been able to see it, but for some reason I apparently missed that. So it wasn't shown everywhere, whereas Voltron came during a uh, syndication boom when it literally was shown everywhere. Yeah, and, and again, it was uh, around that time we had a bunch. Like, that was kind of opening the floodgates for the next wave of giant robot shows. Yep. By the way, just as a general note, uh, Force 5 consisted of 26 episodes each. From Guy King, Dengar Dace, uh, Star Avengers, uh, Grandizer, and Space Cateers. Yeah, Star Avengers uh, is uh, the second uh, Get a Robo. Is Get a Robo G. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting note, they're 26 episodes each, but the original series were much longer. Yeah, they're like They're literally 50. just picking kind of the plot episodes of each and going, we'll go <laughs> with that. No, they're not. They're kind of just... <laughs> what, what don't we have to edit copious amounts of violence out of? Yeah, put that one on. Oh, that explains it. Okay. Yeah, there there were a lot mm-hmm. of the stories were kind of a little bit like uh, Space Kateers, I remember being mm-hmm. particularly kind of disjumbled. Right. Well, Space Kateers, interesting note, Space Kateers uh, was actually supposed to be uh, Great Mazinger, but they couldn't get the rights yeah. because of what you mentioned earlier. So they slipped it out with Space Kateers. Now, Space Kateers is just Journey to the West. It's the Monkey King set in space. Yeah. And so I can see how that could end up being really jumbled and messed up. <laughs> Yeah, but there was there was a because remember this is also the time you had uh, like we did Mighty Orbots here. Yeah, that would have been eighty three or eighty four. Eighty four, I believe. And, okay. And then uh, Transformers comes out around this time too. Yes, uh, Transformers will come in eighty eighty four. Yeah. Um, at least the toys the toys came out in eighty four anyway. Yeah, because what you. Wait. What you ended up happening, if you were like a sci-fi like fan, especially the more like crazy stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Jedi came out. Star Wars was kind of dead, mm-hmm. and everything science fictiony. You were starting to see kind of, I guess, the post-apocalypse cyberpunk stuff, mm-hmm. and this big influx of Japanese stuff at that yep. time, and yep. and yeah, Voltron was kind of the vanguard of like the Japanese robot stuff. And uh, again, it was had the advantage of this new syndication market, so it yeah. ended up being shown everywhere. Everyone jumped on it. The other show I remember from that period that we saw was um, Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs. Yeah, it came a little later. Which, which was Space Musketeer Bismarck from 84 in Japan. Yeah. Again, another super robot show. An interesting one about that, for those who remember Saber Rider, is that Again, I was fond of it. Was that Saber Rider was? They were supposed to be this intergalactic peacekeeping team. They were going around to different planets and like fighting, you know, 
the Ill, evil alien outriders in different places, etc. Whereas the original series is completely set on Earth. <laughs> um, actually, Earth and maybe Mars, if I remember right, but but mostly Earth. It's just kind of, but just the Earth is a little bit bombed out from it from alien attacks, right? So that's why it looks a little bit desolate. Yeah, but but they're actually traveling around on Earth, but they they changed it so that they made it look like they were using they were doing the uh, Battle of the Planets routine. Yeah, where they took something that was set on Earth, used a few stock footage shots of them traveling through space, and said, "No, no, they're traveling <laughs> to other worlds." Really, it's just like Star Wars. Trust us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of what they did. Um, not that it was that bad, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was another one that I was fond of that came out during that period. I mean, during the 1980s, various super robot shows would come out. A number of them would. But most of them tended to be... Again, there's still variants on Great Messenger, right? Yeah. I mean, or Messenger Z, whichever. It's the same thing. Um, and so they're still following that same line. So that's the thing, right? A super robot show is generally about... a super robot fighting monsters and that's kind of what they do <laughs> one in, one interesting one that came out in 88 which i've got another personal fondness of so i'm going to mention is gunbuster oh okay yeah which came out as a six episode oav series that combined uh super robots with um a show called aim for the ace which was a television manga and anime from the 1960s about girls tennis mm-hmm and it combined that with giant robots. And if you haven't seen Gunbuster, you really should. Because Gunbuster is amazing. The only problem was that it was one of the very first releases in English of actual anime with English subtitles. That were actually marketed at, as anime. Oh. And they were released by, I think it was Animego. Yeah. Uh, was the company. And they released that and Dangayo. Yeah. Dangayo. Dengayo and, uh, yeah, Gunbuster were the first two. And I bought both of them because, you know, that was just the time I was around, what, 18 or so at that point. And that's like, oh, my God, real anime. And from Japan. And because up until then, we'd been forced to watch, like, hacked up dub jobs at that point. Yeah. Bad dubs for the most part with characters that talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, Gunbuster came out. So, it's bizarre the fact that what I was watching was this deconstructionist parody. But it was the very first actual one I'd seen. So I didn't... To me, it wasn't a deconstructionist parody. I and many other anime fans of that time took it completely seriously. <laughs> I kind of knew that it was a bit weird. But it was like, they're Japanese. You know, it's okay. Um, and that's also gun... Uh, that was also made by Gainax. Yeah. Who would later go on to produce a whole bunch of other stuff. Many of them super robot shows. Including one that we're going to talk about in a minute called Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also produced... Gurren Lagann in 2007 was also Gainax as well. And that's another super robot show that everyone went nuts for during its time. Right. Um, I'm sorry, guys. I tried Gurren Lagann. I've tried it twice. It just is not my <laughs> cup of tea. Um, but uh, but I do love Gunbuster. And if anyone gets the chance, especially if you actually have seen other stuff before that, don't watch it as your first like I did. Kind of. I mean, I'd seen Voltron and that's so why I had some idea but Gunbuster is amazing because and they still are fighting monsters in it they just happen to be fighting fleets of monsters that are uh, half a million monsters at a time mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's it's Gunbuster is really cool I really very well animated lots of fun um, and so they would continue with various uh, robot shows also during the 1990s there was a super robot series that you may or may not be familiar with that were called the um uh, the Brave Hero series, mm. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're the Brave series. They started in 1990 with Brave X-Kaiser. And X-Kaiser was, uh, they were space cops, but they're basically space cop robots. Okay. It's still a super robot show. Okay. And it was produced with, uh, in license with the toy company Takara. So they're all basically toy commercials. Yeah. Okay. And they would do one of these each year for uh, seven years. So there's actually eight of them. And they're all super robot shows. They involve a lot of robots usually because, again, more toys, right? Right. Toy commercials. They were, um, there'll be X-Kaiser, uh, Fiber, Dagard, Mike Guine, Jay Decker, which became a little bit popular. That Jay Decker is interesting because I believe it's the one that set the standard of you have a – that's almost a hybrid where you have like a couple of kids that are like junior high school or younger kids. And then they team up with robots that are semi-sentient, but sometimes they also pilot as well. Right. Uh, or can combine and then the kids pilot it or something like that. So And the robots are usually sentient. That's I believe Jay Decker set that standard. They do a lot of those today, actually. Yeah. Um, those are still popular today. Uh, there's one running on TV right now. I can't remember what its name is, but it's... Uh, I can look it up. Anyway, um, and so they would run. Uh, the Brave Hero series would run throughout the 90s and would basically culminate um, in what's considered to be the best of them. Um, which is Gal Gagar, which you mentioned okay. earlier in 97. Right. Okay. Um, Gal Gagar, for anyone who hasn't seen it and therefore does not have the theme song stuck in their brain <laughs> for the rest of their lives. Um, and once you hear it, I'll put a link. You'll know what you understand <laughs> what I mean. The, the Gal Gagar ones, they basically took everyone who was like a master of the super robot genre that wasn't going to Guy or Tomino and basically put them on one series and said, what's the best you can do? And Gal Gygar is literally the best they can do. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Gal Gygar is, is one of the top three super robot series of all time. Okay. And that I don't say that lightly. I really do believe that. Um, have you actually seen Gal Gygar, Don? Yeah, I saw a few of them back in the day. Yeah. I was fortunate enough, and again, I'm biased partly because of this, but when I was actually living in Japan, I stumbled across Gal Gygar, and I actually watched them in Japan, in Japanese, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I could follow them. you know. It's, it's, I could, and then I went back and watched them with subs later on, and Gal Gygar is amazing. It really is. Um, it, base, it combines a whole bunch of different elements, like even going back to Tekaman. There's bits of Tekaman in it. There's bits of Mazinger in it. There's bits of Captain Harlock in it. Gaugaigar kind of literally takes... It's a mix mash of all... I'm not kidding. All the best super robot stuff from like... What, at this point, 97? So over 20 years. And they basically combined it all into one glorious series. Right. And I, I as you can tell, I can't emphasize or <laughs> praise Gaugaigar enough. Um. I, you know, Gal Gagar is the series that uh, from the '90s Super Robot series that I go nuts over. Um, there is another show that most other non Gal Gagar fans, you poor people, do go nuts <laughs> over though. That was from the '90s that probably should be mentioned. I should already have mentioned it, of course. Which would be uh, Lumune and Forty Fire. Yeah, almost. That's not <laughs> a bad one, actually. That's that's okay. Uh huh. And, and that's another Super Robot show. Um, that's following more of the getter man type, type line, but yeah, which we haven't talked about, but yeah. Um, no, I was of course going to talk about uh, Neon, Gen- Neon Genesis Evangelion. Okay, there we go. Which was the, how can I put this? 
which was uh, Hideki Anno's take on uh, Idion, which was like his favorite series in the world when he was growing up. And I believe it was The Return of Ultraman, which was his other favorite live-action series. Mm -hmm. And so he combined elements of both of them into Neon Genesis Evangelion. Or Evangelion, however you want to pronounce it. Both work. Um, For those who aren't familiar with it, it again, it basically was a... uh, How can I put this? A real... Real robot teched up version of the super robot type show in that in that sense very much like um, Idian in a lot of ways it it very much is Idian actually it even kind of looks like it yeah um, where a kid named uh, Shinji Aramaki is his name no uh, Shinji Ikari Shin, where a kid named Shinji Ikari is um, a drone by his. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what that's where it's a bit of a deconstruction. Uh-huh. Where, for example, he's the he's the anti super robot pilot in the sense that he's this neat, and I mean that in the N E E T Hikomori uh, loner or whatever um, type kid who just wants to curl up in a ball and be left alone. Whose father keeps forcing him to pilot a giant robot. Um, yeah, that's. Well, I won't go into spoiler territory with it, but but anyway, Evangelion was a kind of a deconstruction reboot of the whole super robot thing, and was a very good one, in fact. It, it actually is, for about at least the first 15, 16 episodes, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it was so good, it, it became the new template for super robots, I'd argue, after it. Yeah, because there's, uh, there's a couple things to consider before we get here, I think. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, the super robot stuff in the eighties kind of got usurped by the uh, the real robot stuff because mm-hmm. the real robot stuff tend to be more serious. It was, um, I guess it, yeah, I guess you'd say it was for for like an older audience. It wasn't just kid stuff. Yep. Um, the super robot shows tended to be combiner shows during the eighties. Influenced by the Transformers, among other things. Yeah. And toy sales. Yeah. Mostly toy sales. It was, yeah, mo- toy, toy sales. Because if I have five robots that combine to make one robot, I can now sell six robots. Yep, that's true. Because the toys were important for the uh, for the super robot. The real robots went by way of model kits. Hmm. And that was one of the things that Gundam did. Where where you made the joke about it was a total failure. It almost was. The TV show wasn't real popular. I know, yeah. But the model kit sold like crazy. And, and so because the model kit sold like crazy, they reissued or re-aired the TV show, and it was a huge hit the second time around. Yep. And it's it's important to think the model kits... Gundam also kind of started that idea of doing model kits to go at your show. Because you had them before. You had them in like the super robot era, but the model kits were basically a toy that you built. Mm-hmm. And they'd have like wind up motors or stuff. If anybody remembers um the Shogun Warriors, there were model kits of them that came out in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And they had these weird big blocky feet. Mm-hmm. It was because they were molds of the original Japanese super robot shows that that was where the batteries would go because they have motors in them that make the head spin and the arms flail and stuff because mm-hmm. they were toys. When you get to the real robot stuff, everything goes by way of model kit instead of toy mm-hmm. because, again, you get more detail. Um, it goes with the idea of the tech being more solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's overlap. 
because when you get Idian begets Macross, and Macross is kind of the template for for the real robot stuff. Yep, and which which is not the trail I went down because again that's the real robot yeah. stuff, and we'll get to that later. So we're going that way. If you follow follow through, a lot of the super robot stuff gets it gets pretty kiddied up, and again it's it's mostly yeah. to sell toys. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point you've made. Is that yeah. The real robot stuff goes the way of model kits, and the super robot stuff basically just becomes toy commercials. Yeah. Um, with a few exceptions, Evangelion being one. There are Evangelion toys, but it wasn't really set up that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Galgai Gar, which I mentioned, and all the other Brave Robot series that came before it, were total toy commercials. Yeah. Really good ones in Galgai Gar's case, but yeah, they were total toy commercials. Yeah, because that kind of, again, goes back to Combatler V. Yeah. That it started that idea of combining robots that you could make toys of because the uh the getter robo ones would just sort of magically combine hmm. so their forms would shift which you couldn't do in a toy um yep. you get to evangelion evangelion i think is the prototype for almost a third type of robot show that's an interesting point okay what kind because evangelion borrows liberally from the super robot thing mm-hmm it's got that monster of the week. It's got the the robot is like oh yeah, it, it's a super robot show. Yeah, effectively, it's the unique thing. The hero's like dad is is well, he's a dickweed in this one, but he doesn't die. But that's a running theme too that everybody's. Dad. I'd argue he's more of a dick than a dickweed, <clears throat> but whatever. Yeah, sure, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Okay, mm. he's a dick, and uh, Shinji's a dickweed. So there we go, problem solved. There we go. That totally <laughs> works. He, I, I agree with that. Yes. But they also take the idea of a lot of the weird, wacky, over-the-top stuff. Mm-hmm. They kind of do, yeah, the Idian thing. You can really see it if you see Idian. That they're wrapping it around a couple of philosophies. Mm. But then they go back the super robot route by um, just blowing things out of proportion. And it gets murky. Like, they, they kind of keep branching out of their own philosophy and taking it these different weird places that again, it smacks of like the, the super robotisms. Right. It's not Japanium. It's God's blood that powers. Okay. That's, I don't know where that came from, but sure. We'll, we'll go with that. And I think again, it almost creates, it's kind of the equivalent of, of real robot psychedelia. Mm. And I think that, because again, Evangelion is crazy popular, it gets ripped off way too much. Mm. And I think, again, it sort of remixes everything and almost becomes, I don't know what you'd call it, but almost becomes that third type of, of, of robot show. Hmm. I can see your point, um, and I think, you, I think you're on to something, that there is another kind of robot show that kind of emerges after Evangelion, but I don't know quite what to call it. Yeah. Um, that I know that Evangelion has a huge amount of influence on almost everything that comes after it, as you said, and I think it uh, it encouraged a lot of other takes on giant robots. Like for example, in the two thousands, almost all I think pretty much all the noteworthy I should say seventies uh, giant robot shows got remakes during the two thousands. Yeah, like. Almost all of them. I'm not kidding. If you look up the list, Get a Robo, Grandizer, um, you name it. If you've heard of it, uh, you know they they remade Ray Dean. 
Um, Dengar Dace might have gotten one. Guy King got one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just just they they basically just remade everything they could. Yeah. And part of that's not having new ideas, and part of that is that that Messenger got remade a couple of times. Um, it's getting remade part, again. There's exactly there's a new one coming out this year. Oh yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, what's old is new again. Um, <laughs> and again and again and point, again and again and again. But there's but they tended to remake them with this eye towards Evangelion. Yeah, a lot of them are made with that Evangelion lens, where there's it's it's kind of the same effect. Oh, here, know what it is? It's kind of like okay, so DC wanted to make you know com- comic book movies. Okay, I'll I'll use this analogy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they made a super. They made some Superman movies, and the first one was okay. And things went fine, whatever. The later one sucked, but whatever. And so they gave up for a bit. And then superhero movies started to make money, and so they're like, okay, well, okay, let's make a new movie. So they made Batman movies, and the Batman movies made a shit ton of money. Okay, so what they decided to do was is I'm referring to the Christopher Nolan Batman movies mm-hmm. in this case. Okay. So what they decided to do was, is that why don't we continue making DC superhero movies, but we'll all make them as though they were in the same setting as Batman. So they all have that Batman-esque dark tone to them, and they all have this Batman kind of vibe going on because everyone loved that so much with Batman. So they make one where Superman is now like a hobo for a while, and he's he's really a dick. And then they make Batman versus Superman where everyone like, hates superman because he's a super dick and um and we had a dark costume and everything and if, well yeah i can kind of understand why everyone hates him then mm. they make justice league where he was apparently this beloved figure that was the second christ of the world and everyone loved him even though they didn't but that's anyway <laughs> spoilers for justice league it's like what the hell they literally spend the first 10 minutes of the movie trying to explain to you Superman was the most beloved figure ever in mankind's history after they just finished two movies of him being the biggest asshole in the history of mankind <laughs> and hated by everyone. It's like, really? Do you really expect us? But anyway, that's, I'm getting off track. But the point is this, okay? Because Batman made a shit ton of money, they basically tried to put everything through the Batman mold that came afterwards, okay? And I would argue that Evangelion caused almost all the robot shows after it to go through the Evangelion mold. Yeah. Basically. They used Evangelion flavoring, however you want to put it. So you end up with kind of three different kinds of robot shows at this point. You end up with realistic robot shows, which might have their more than one line, but we'll talk about them in another episode. Mm-hmm. We we end up with we end up with Messenger Z, traditional giant robot shows, which are basically toy commercials, and they still make them up until this day, and they're that style. And then we end up with this other kind of super robot show that's the original shows, but now done in the flavor of Evangelion. And so they all have these dark elements to it. Um, There's usually some often weird religious or mystical philosophy that goes along with them. They're almost all backed by weird organizations that are somewhat sinister, even though they're the good guy organization. And usually there's some twist ending, or usually turns out the guys they're fighting turn out to be the actual good guys or something like that. They're all trying to basically remake Evangelion using these old robot properties. Yeah, and. At least that's how I see it anyway. That's what a lot of them feel like. You're you're right, and I think one of the things you can do to sort of differentiate the different types of robot show, mm-hmm. and it goes with, with the idea we've mentioned before, how when you write a story, you can focus on plot, character, or setting. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, the old super robot shows 
our plot. Right. The hero has a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get too much into the hero's personality other than, yeah, he's an angry knob. Yep. But the goal is to beat the villain and save the day. Okay. When you get to the, the, the real robot shows, they tend to be mm-hmm. more setting oriented. Yes. Because it's that political aspect. And even the mm. robots are, are part of like an army. And it's, it's that clash of, of, of groups of organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you see that clash filtered through the characters, they typically represent an ideology from that setting. Right. And then the Evangelion mold is hmm. a character-based one because Evangelion, hmm. the 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 robots and the plot and the fighting was almost secondary to what a weenie Shinji was. Yeah, that's true. It was really about Shinji trying to deal with his father issues. Yeah, and it was very introspective. Now, the sad part was there was nothing there to introspect, but but it was that idea of of making the personal emo giant robot show. But it's it's again it's that that character aspect. Mm-hmm. Even I know I think you're right. I think you're completely right. Even to the point that the Evangelion, the weird metaphysics, was personal metaphysics. Yes, that's true. That the robot, okay. the robot itself, in a very t- weird, tangible way, represented. How come you went away, mommy? So, well, the robot spoiler has his mother's spirit in it. Yeah, it's implied anyway. Yeah, his mother's soul is in the damn robot. Um, and then so yeah and then remember he's essentially hot for his mom because the the one of the other pilots is like a clone yeah she's a clone of his mother basically yeah um yeah there's evangelion goes some interesting ways and of course it also suffers the same fate as um ironically enough i don't even think they planned that of course as idian where they basically run out of money at a certain point towards the end and they're like, what do we do? And it's like, well, Idian did this, and we're, we're copying Idian anyway. Let's just go all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they do this bizarre ending, sort of ending, the, that... The Evo was inside you all the time. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> and, then, and then, well, no, they do that, and then they do the movie version, which is equally messed up. Yeah. Uh, if not more so. Um, we didn't need a... Five, is it five or ten minute scene of Shinji masturbating at, at his girlfriend's <laughs> bedside? Oh my god! Yeah, I'm there, not joking, folks. Was, I'm not there, really. I'm not. There was a um, there was a lot that we didn't really need. But again, no, yeah, no, we didn't because the movie was the actual ending. The ending of the TV series, at least the original ending of the TV series, was this weird, like, like cinematic, you know, verite existential, art. yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like. Andy Warhol performance piece thing. And then, yeah, the movie is like the actual ending of the series. I consider Evangelion 18 episodes of a really good super robot series. And after episode 18, you can kind of bail. It's around 18 or so. There's a point where, yeah, just, just stop there. You'll be much happier if you do. Um, cause, cause that's where everything just, that's kind of, everything just goes to crap. And, uh, up until then, it's actually a fair, again, it's that, you know, downer ending thing um well, up until then it's a really cool take on the whole giant robot thing and there's a reason they there i think they're still making movie versions of it right now a movie or a series because uh, there's there's like a new one coming out where it's one of the other pilots who's like a hot chick this time so there's a new series i thought ser- i know there's a series of movies coming are they or it's movies? been coming out for a while 
Or I don't, well, There's movies coming out. They're releasing one every like two or three years. Because they did movies. I thought they did like an add-on or a reboot of it. And then I've seen these ads. The movies for are this. a reboot. Okay. And then I've seen these ads for this new thing with this like new pilot that wasn't in any of the original stuff that I saw. But I'm Well, I'm the movies sure have a new pilot. Is. There's a new girl with glasses. Yeah, and that's what, her. She, and she, no, she's from the reboot movies. Oh, okay. Which is basically what if Shinji didn't suck? <laughs> well, the weird there's a few weird things about it actually. Uh, one of them is is that uh, the movie in the movies they actually took out a lot of the Christian mysticism and replaced it with Shinto instead. Okay, that seems so. They 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 yeah they changed a lot. Yes, yeah, so it's pretty much not the uh, same not show the original at all. anymore. At least that's what I've heard. I actually haven't watched it. I've got a couple of them on DVD. I got them a while ago, but I just have never gotten around to watching them. Yeah, because I don't think I'd go 18 episodes. I think for me it was like 13. Well, that's about right. It's And I can tell you the exact part where I'm like, oh, no. And it's the one with Ray. Right. Who am I? Why is there blood on my hands? Oh, my God. No, oh, don't do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That When you see that episode, just stop, folks. <laughs> Well, although I gotta say, it's like my problem with it is it's way too emo. Yeah, like well, I, it's nineties. I deal nineties. Yeah, I deal with unmotivated whiners like during my day. I don't want to spend my spare time with them. Mm. But even then, Evangelion's one of them things. It's so weird and so different that it literally is like a car accident. You don't want to watch, but you can't help but watch because I got to see what happens next. Yeah, but the problem is you don't really see what happens. Well, you do sort of see what happens next. Yeah, you kind of see because uh, they kind of you kind of see the after effects of everything. Hmm. Like all the horrible stuff that happens, you don't see it happen. You you see either people crying about it or like the damage that happened, mm-hmm. but you don't actually see. Like that's in in some ways that's like the nice thing about. Shinji whacking off in the movies. You're not actually watching it. You're just kind of hearing it. Well, we, well, you're getting like, yeah, like expressionistic shot. shots. Yeah, here's yeah. here's the roof. Here's like the IV thing. Here's the oh my god. Fast forward. Is the, <laughs> oh my god. What the fucking fuck? But anyway, yeah. I, by the way, they're called Rebuild of Evangelion, and they've been releasing them since 2009. There's four movies that okay. are basically a retelling of the series. It's called Evangelion. They call it 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and then the fourth and, I believe, final one, because uh, I haven't watched them yet, is due out who knows when. I don't know why, why they haven't released a new one since 2012, but supposedly there's a new one coming. Yeah, okay. With the conclusion in the fourth film, which is sometime... Anyway, yeah, cause it... um, which is... And it's, again, it's a retelling rather than just the original, you know, footage, rather than the original show or whatever. Um, so Evan, yeah, so Evangelion kind of set its new standard and mm-hmm. took things in a different way. Yeah. And, um, and, and things have continued since then, um, after, but I, I think things have continued for both the two super robot lines since then. They've remade a ton of stuff, as we said. Uh, one I actually consider of, of note, there was one called, where is it? God Danner that came out in 2003. Okay. God Danner is actually pretty good. If you get the chance to see it, it's actually really nifty. Um, it's a, it's a throwback, but it's a really well done throwback to the original and it's, it, and it's not just monster of the week type stuff. So it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty fun. Um, 
Uh, anything else? Oh, yeah, Gurren Lagann, which again, another Gainax one, except this is them not doing the Evangelion route, but doing the... Although this is still more character-based, but it's the one I mentioned earlier, where it's a post-apocalyptic Earth, and this character finds this drill robot, and it goes from there. Yeah. Um, and it's to super way over-the-top levels. Gurren Lagann is meant to be, again, almost a extension parody of the whole super robot genre and it's okay lots of people love it i know lots of people who do but Mm -hmm. it just was never kind of my thing um let's see they keep making making messenger reboots uh, yeah, because like i say there's it's a messenger infinity i think is the new one that's coming out this year that sounds about right i actually don't know um it could be I wouldn't surprise me. You can go, you can take a look. Yeah, Bandai has a teaser on their uh, model kit website. Well, there we go. For so, Messenger Infinity. There we yeah. go. Um, and so, why then? Now that we've gone through all this, folks. <laughs> uh, sorry, folks, if we've been a, bit a little, little long winded about the whole thing. We're going to bring this puppy up to onto a close. Let's let's bring this. Let's like kill the monster and bring the robot home on this one, Don. So, why are giant super robots appealing what's the appeal to these things that's a i i think at this point in japan and and even here because again when you get to the 90s and we had access to more japanese stuff i think part of it is uh i don't want to say inertia but the template is 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 kind of ingrained Mm -hmm. in a significant portion of like sci-fi fandom's brain Mm -hmm. and it's it's in in a way it's such a simple concept mm-hmm. giant robot huge laser smash things right but there's something kind of universally appealing to that mm-hmm. and something intriguing and i think especially with the super robot stuff it kind of represents a sci-fi dream mm-hmm. of 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 humanity's childhood because we know we're not going to go that way right like I say, I think that's why the real robot thing took off in the 80s, because it looks more like where we're headed. Mm. But the super robots are like the steampunk of giant robots. Right. And... Well, okay, yep, yeah, go, sorry. Well, steampunk in that they're the future that didn't happen. Mm. But there's still an appeal, there's still a charm. It's ingrained enough that it taps into something that's there in, in, in most people. Hmm. But it taps in, but then why did North Americans never, I can't, actually I shouldn't say never, why has there been almost no North American super robot shows? I think because we have superheroes. Okay. That that fulfills that same need because, you know, I don't need a big 20-story high robot to smash stuff. I can just be the Hulk or Mm. Superman or that. And because we didn't have that grand and glorious technical future at the beginning of, of, of our like pre-war modern, I guess, modern ish Mm -hmm. idea. It didn't Mm -hmm. dig in like it did in Japan. Right. Okay. That makes sense. (coughs) I mean, we love them. We appreciate them. Um, there really have only been two American attempts. No, sorry, three American attempts to do uh, super robot shows, which we didn't talk about, but we probably should mention. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, of course, the original one, which is 
Uh, I go with Mighty Orbots. There we go. That's the one. Uh, Mighty Orbots, which was an early mid-80s attempt to do a, a super robot show, but it was also done in conjunction with the Japanese, so it really is still almost a Japanese series. Yeah. It's, but it is, there's some American sensibilities and style to it. So yeah, Mighty Orbots, which was, which is a lot of fun. We recommend, mm-hmm. um, there's Megas XLR, yep. <laughs> which was done a number of years later, which is weirdly almost more of a parody. It's almost the anti-Evangelion. Yeah. It's the best way of putting it. <laughs> where it's like, let's focus on all the silly aspects of uh, giant robot stuff instead of focusing on all the deep, serious aspects. Uh-huh. Um, and so Megas XLR did its thing. Um, and so that was somewhat popular. Again, none of these were super popular. Mm -hmm. And then finally the one which I consider the best and which is my favorite of the lot of them, which is of course, Symbionic Titan. Yeah. Um, which was done by, uh, Gendy Tarkovsky, who, is it Tarkovsky? I think it's Tarkovsky. The guy who did, uh, he did like, uh, Samurai Jack. And Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. And Dexter's Lab. Yeah. And uh, his great tribute to uh, Super Robots was Symbionic Titan, yeah. which in criminally only got one season, but it was a really, really good season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I consider it one of the best Super Robot shows of its kind. Although, again, it's oddly enough, it doesn't. it's not really about the robots. It's actually about the characters. Yeah. The, the, the Super Robot aspect is almost the secondary thing. It, it Again, it's... A super robot show, but it almost follows that Evangelion mold more than it does the um, messenger mold. Yeah, and, and to that end too, even though uh, Megas XLR is, is definitely a comedy, mm. it focuses more on the characters. Mm. And I think because again, those two shows are like early two thousands, like they're very recent. And I think again, mm. it's that idea because. When you got to the 90s, you had the Japanese stuff take off here as Japanese stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't re-edited. It wasn't kind of like we we disguise that it's not from around here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's what happened in the 80s, that they all, everything had to get kind of like Western up a little bit. Yep. And then because of the 90s, you can kind of get away with that now because those ideas are in people's heads. Mm-hmm. At least some, because... It, it it goes with what we said before. You can always add one weird thing to your story and not lose the audience. Mm-hmm. That it took those 30-some years before the giant robot thing mm-hmm. was ingrained enough in the consciousness of, of the West that you could produce, like, your own version of it. Right, without people reacting to it. And thus we get Pacific Rim. Ah, okay. Which is a tribute by Guillermo del Toro of course to Mazinger Z and the other he literally says Mazinger Z and the other uh, super robot shows he watched in Mexico as a kid mm-hmm. he grew up watching them in Spanish just like you did and so as end result <laughs> the, uh, Pacific Rim the first one is his tribute to those giant robot shows right and presumably the second one which is due out in late March it's probably already come out by the time this episode airs. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea if the second one is good or bad when when we're discussing this. I'm hoping it's good. Mm-hmm. I'll probably be going to see it because I love the first one. Right. Because it really was this amazing tribute to uh, giant robots. And I have to say, when I watched Pacific Rim in IMAX, in 3D, in the theater, <laughs> and I saw it twice, to show, and I never see anything twice in the theater, folks. I saw Pacific Rim twice in the theater. And I paid for IMAX 3D to watch it twice. I was like 
it was like I was watching uh, Voltron for the very first time, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was that experience of just absolute pure joy and pure love on the screen. Uh, my childhood was brought, and you know, and it, that's what <laughs> Del Toro was trying to capture, and he really did. Right. And uh, so, if you want to see the most pure essence of uh, giant robot story, and you haven't seen it, go watch Pacific Rim. If you want, if you can't stand watching old Japanese cartoons, but old Japanese cartoons are kind of awesome. Of course, the funny thing about Pacific Rim, mm. and I think you might have answered one of the things I've wondered about, mm-hmm. like like getting through this episode. I've seen a lot of critics that did not like the film mm-hmm. and i can totally see that because it's it's about robots punching monsters and and that's yeah. that's what yeah. it is they don't they don't mm-hmm. screw around mm-hmm. but there's a tendency of critics to refer to it movies being stupid yes and i've mentioned this before it's not because i just watched it like yesterday oh good move and and it's not stupid every single thing mm-hmm makes sense like all the things that people said well that's dumb why'd they do that well it it's in there they don't necessarily tell you but it's there you don't have to think about it too hard and i'm wondering if it's again because uh the giant robot formula here in the west Mm -hmm. even though it's kind of taken off and this goes with why megas xlr or uh, symbionic titan never quite took off Mm -hmm. because that template is still it hasn't spread throughout all of like the the North American audience. Yes, There's, I think you're right. Yeah, and that's why to a lot of people because they didn't grow up on like the 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 import stuff in the 80s and the 90s. It's still kind of inscrutable to them, just on like a fundamental deep core level. Yep, and but and, but that's why Pacific Rim got a, a sequel because. It was super popular in Asia and Europe and the rest of the planet were, no, they grew up watching these giant robot shows even more than we did. Mm-hmm. And so even the older generation is like, oh, yeah, I watched this show as a kid. I watched, you know, Grandizer or whatever or Goldorak, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and so the end result is, is that when they saw Pacific Rim, it's like, hey, there's my childhood. But North Americans didn't. And not even, and, and not even just mm-hmm. in a nostalgic sense. It's that idea that, like we said, there's too many elements that if you're not familiar with the giant robot show, mm. that don't kind of play out. It's it's like um, if you I always use the example if you come into Superman Cold, mm. how come the greatest reporter at the uh, Daily Planet doesn't recognize Clark Kent without his glasses? Well. Because that's a superheroism. You have a secret identity. As long as you pay yep. nominal attention, nobody figures it out. Yep. But, exactly. You you just go with it. Yeah, because it's it's so ingrained in 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 Western culture, and we all mm-hmm. grew up with that. And so many takes on it. It's a given to us. But the giant robot thing isn't. Yep, I agree. It's all what you're used to. Yeah. I know, I never thought about that, but you're exactly right. I'm going to have to watch Pacific Rim again this week. Ah, but I should anyway, <laughs> with the sequel coming out shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that. I think that's it. And I think that um, that's probably a good place to end on, I think. I mean, um, I think we've covered uh, Super Robots pretty well this episode. If uh, someone wants to learn more about Super Robot shows without actually going and, all, and watching all of them, um, if you want to go on YouTube, there's a dude or dudette, I'm not sure which, I'm pre- actually, 
there's a dude named Professor Otaku D2, at least that's his YouTube handle on YouTube, who's been doing a visual history of Mecca. Yeah. Um, and he's up to like, at this recording, he's up to 22 episodes. They're only about six minutes each. They're fairly short. And they're going through almost year by year what the Mecca shows were each year and how they affected the genres and everything and what, you know, in more detail than we went through. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually see a lot of what we're actually talking about in action. He goes into a lot of other things that we don't because we just don't have time for it. Yeah. Um, and also we don't have the visuals to show you and explain some of what's really going on and the subtle differences as the show evolves. But yes, if you get the chance, A Visual History of Mecca, then by Professor Otaku D2, I recommend. And it, of course, also goes into the real robot stuff, which we'll be covering in a upcoming episode. Yeah. Yeah, because on that note... Whole other mm -hmm. kettle of worms there. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why we specifically divided them up and avoided the real robot stuff, because we can talk about that for even longer. Because mm. that's stuff, something that you and I were both obsessed with in our day. Were? Okay, good point. <laughs> right, have a have a great a great fondness for. Um, so 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 we'll discuss that in our time. Mm. So thank you everyone for listening, and uh, tune in uh, next time for possibly more about r robots. We'll see, and um, to, and then hopefully after that we should be talking about Super Sentai because I just can't wait to talk more about Super Sentai and five young good looking people in spandex <laughs> fighting with a giant robot because I think that's awesome. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!